Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie, and happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Standing on My Soapbox, a Monday through Friday talk radio show where we rant, rave, and review about all the day's top news, politics, and pop culture stories. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, along with my trustworthy co-host, actor and writer, Mr. Craig Hurley. He'll be along in just a couple of seconds. We're always happy when you guys are part of the conversation. Let us know what's on your mind, either on a topic we're talking about or something on your radar. Give us a call here into the studio, 347-989-0126. You'll be able to hear the show while you're on hold, and we'll get to you just as soon as we can. Again, that's 347-989-0126. Let's jump into it, boys and girls, and bring the handsome and talented on co-host to the show, Mr. Craig Hurley. How was your weekend, sir? Uh, my weekend was good. How was yours, sir? I got my phone back Saturday, so I was a very happy camper, and it took about I two hours saw that. to re- redo everything, but it was worth every second. Um, I don't want to spend 250 bucks every year like I've been doing to replace it, but I'm glad that I happened to back it up because I don't usually even do that. So I got everything back. Cool. Cool beans, as a it friend of mine cool. says. Cool. Cool beans. Um, it, it, it was really good. I'm hearing a slight echo. Am I echoing? No, nah, maybe slight, but not noticeable, really. Cool. Cool beans. Um, yeah, no, weekend was good. Um, we're, uh, I, I, I'm trying to sell a lot of like my, my higher priced items. I mean, higher, like things that I have that I don't necessarily need, like a 1978 silver anniversary limited edition Corvette, um, stuff like that. And, uh, I showed that off just, to my cousin this weekend. They were they're car people. They thought it was sweet and a good deal. Oh, dude, it's it's a sexy car, and yeah, I've got it um, priced at uh, price to sell. I've got it at eleven thousand at this point, and people are like, "Dude, hold on to it for another ten years." And I'm like, "No, I'm I, I don't. I don't huh. I've held on to it for my whole life. I've I've really really enjoyed it. Um, my parents bought it when I was a kid, and I." think that and i've taken care of it it's garage kept um it's a a small block v8 and it doesn't have the the big block l82 engine in it otherwise it'd be worth a lot more but um yeah and people are like just hold on to it it'll be worth more and i'm i I, dude i don't i don't i don't i don't want to hold on to it i i want to give it to somebody actually i'd love to sell it to like a 16 year old so that you know that's that's (laughs) the type of person yeah, seriously. Um, you know, somebody that can love it the same way that I did when I was a kid. So um, I, I, I just don't I don't have the time for it. I, I don't have the 
I, at this point I'm moving. I, I don't really have the room for it. So I, you know, and I'm, I don't want to throw it into storage again. So, you know, it's what kind it's, of work does it take on those things for Chicago winters and stuff, not to rust out and everything. That's gotta be a lot well, of upkeep all year round. It's, isn't it? it's a Corvette. So it's made out of fiberglass, so it doesn't well, rust. Um, uh, the undercarriage of course is made out of metal, so it's going to rust, but it's never seen salt. Um, you, I, I don't drive this car in the winter mainly because it's, you can't, um, it it literally, you you shouldn't even drive it in the rain. I mean, it's like it, these cars are designed for, for a, a dry roadway and you know, they're, they're like roadsters, they're little dragsters. So, um, you know, it, 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 they, you can lose control of this car real easy if you don't know what you're doing it's a 1978 it doesn't have anti-lock brakes it doesn't have any all-wheel drive it doesn't have any computer no computer at all um (laughs) still got an am fm radio which works by the way uh and uh uh everything actually works on it um it's i could go start it up right now i should i should go on remote and go on my phone so you can hear it she's a beast but i've i've kept her because purists out there uh, like to see, you know, numbers matching and and like to see, you know, that it's been very it's been well taken care of. And that's exactly what this car is. Um, garage kept original paint, uh, two tone silver paint. And then it's got these factory installed seats that were because uh, we bought it from a dealer. And the dealer, we bought it used from a dealer. We actually went to, my parents went, they were looking for a Porsche and, and this was in the, the Porsche lot and the dealer of the Porsche lot, it was his car. And he, so he actually didn't drive a Porsche either. (laughs) He, he drove a Corvette and which I thought was hysterical at the time. And, uh, and I still do. Uh, cause on every Porsche, it, if you look at the VIN numbers, it says VW, it does not say Porsche. So it says Volkswagen. And, um, I, I was like, there is no way you guys are buying a Volkswagen when a souped up Volkswagen, when you could be buying, you know, American muscle, you know, or it's, it's right there. So, uh, uh, we literally bought it then or they did. And, uh, and then I drove home in the back of it, which at the time there wasn't any, there wasn't any even car seat, like, you know, I mean, uh, like seatbelt laws at that time. Right. Um, this was 1981 or 82 and, and somewhere in there. And uh, uh, I drove in the back of it, which it, it doesn't have any seats. Yeah. I rode home in the back of it. It doesn't have any seats back there and there's no seatbelt. <laughs> Um, and it's really cramped and I was actually kind of in a growth spurt at that point. So I was, you know, a good long at least. So, you know, I was like, I was like really cramped trying to drive home in that thing. But, um, yeah, it's been a, a great car and yes, you have to keep it indoors in the winter and yes, it's always been, um, kept indoors in the winter. Uh, I, you know, I've kept a garage kept. There was a time period where I took the wheels off and, uh, during the winters and, uh, it's just, uh, it's been a cool car. It's just been a kind of, it's weird. It's like, it's Christine or something. It will not leave my side. 
I don't <laughs> understand it. It's an inanimate object. And I have been, I have been attempting to sell it for like eight months. No, the better part of two years, actually, because when I was down in, in Miami, I was attempting to sell it then, too. I just wanted too much money for it. You know, my pride was kind of in the way. Um, so uh, now I've got it priced to sell. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's just been weird. It's like people will come and look at it. There's been people that have actually offered and different monies that I've been like, yeah, I, you know, because it's you, because it's the, you know, the person, any individual that I actually know, then I can, you know, kind of keep it in the family. I get to see, you know, what happens to it. Um, but, um, you know, and, and just nothing has come through and I'm like, okay, what is with this car? And it'll do things like, like the transmission started leaking over the winter. And I'm like, what, what is happening? You know, how are these things that, that there is no problems whatsoever for 40 freaking <laughs> years. And then all of a sudden, I uh, know, Craig, I, 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 I'm going to have a little bit of problem because you're trying to sell me. It's, it's very strange to me that an inanimate object can act this way. I'm seriously considering calling her Christine. <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. Now, where can they find the car at if they want to look it over? Because you got some great pics on it. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, I've got it on, on Facebook Marketplace in the Chicagoland area. I don't know if that stretches nationwide or not, but look up 78 Corvette for 11000 and then on eBay as well. And uh, yeah, it's got the limited, the only limited edition part of it is that it's got these custom made seats that, from the factory that are uh, oyster leather and then with a silver cloth insert. Otherwise, it's a standard silver anniversary edition. And those are also limited edition. You know, they didn't all come with the silver and leather interior, the, the leather oyster right. interior, um, you know, the ones that, that and the two-tone silver paint and the emblems that say 1953 through 78, which would make it a true silver anniversary. Um, you know, there's a lot of 78s out there that the people are like, I got myself a silver anniversary and no, you don't. <laughs> so, uh, but this one, I wish had the L82 the bigger engine, uh, it doesn't because then it would be worth eh, probably another 10 grand more. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got the L 48, which it's powerful enough. It's, it's, it's I, been a lot of fun. I totally forgot about it until we were just talking about this now, but my friend, one of my best friends when I was in high school, so this was like, um, 80. So I don't know what year it was. It was a while back, but they had bought a Corvette. That was that it has a plaque in the middle of it that said this this car made exclusively and proudly for Lauren Green from Bonanza. So they had Lauren Green's Corvette. It's an orange Corvette T top. No idea what year wow. it was. But somehow they picked that thing up and it was a fun ride. We would go all around town with that thing. But it had this plaque right in the middle of it made for Lauren Green. It's like that's got to be kind of uh, you wonder if the manufacturer did that to make him feel good or if he was that vain back in the day. But I always thought that was hilarious. I loved it. No, that probably came from Chevy and they should have investigated that a little more. Uh, Green was a good actor. He was on a whole bunch of big TV series in the 50s. and oh, 60s. Yeah. So um, he basically started TV. 
and, uh, and Battlestar well, Galactica Bonanza, too for sci-fi. Was it Bonanza? Like and me. then yeah, in the eighties, yeah. Oh, dude, I totally forgot. I loved Battlestar Galactica then. Um, so I haven't watched much of it now. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's they should invest. Should have been. Do they still have the car? I I don't know. I haven't talked to them in years. Like I said, these were high school friends, and I haven't been back there in twenty years, so I have no idea. But, yeah, that uh, car could probably be worth a little more because it was Lauren Green's, and it was most likely made specifically for him. They they've Chevy, especially GM, um, did these uh, uh, like uh, special order cars, and for you know for different celebrities, and also just for different people that were willing to pay the extra amount for the specialties. You know, they right. have. Um, uh, man, I forgot what they're called. A Copo, I think it's Copo Camaros, and and uh, they they have all these uh, just these, and they're made at the factory. It's just they've got all these high performance parts put on them. So most likely there were some special you know racing parts that were put on that car for Lauren. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of fun. Like I said, I have no idea um, what they did with it. It was him and his brother, so I don't know if they. California is not as big of car people as they are here. They do it for more prestige there. They don't go from collectors as much. So I don't know what he ever did with it, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. So what's been going on, sir? Well, let's see. I was behind all weekend because I was just goofing off my new phone and I just didn't feel like doing anything because I had such a busy weekend the weekend before. So I took mom out yesterday. We enjoyed the sunshine. It was 72 degrees here was more overcast and sunshiny, but it was still a nice day. So we took a drive and went to Pittsburgh and goofed around and tried to keep away from all the stupid news because we have another person on the way out of 45's campaign with Homeland Security Advisor Kristen Gillibrand going out. And I was sick of hearing about that last night and having yet another acting secretary in this administration Nobody's permanent anymore. Nobody wants to work for him full time. So I don't know. I, I avoided stuff this weekend. That was about it. Nothing too exciting. What's it, on your isn't hotline? that isn't that one of the one of the lists of dictators of what dictators do? Don't they constantly shift positions and with people that don't actually deserve the positions or are qualified for said positions? And then they put their exactly. family members in. Yeah, they, this say, is what it's dictators It's either cronyism do. or it's trying to keep people from having a coup over them. One of the two. Either way, it's not good. Well, that is that is a they're coup. They're putting in their families. No, that is a coup. Uh, when when a dictator does that, that is a coup. Yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, and the reason why, and it's partly this. This Stephen Miller's behind all this. Have you seen pictures, guys? This guy looks like a James Bond or a. Or a villain from the I'm Hitler telling you, race. all these people are like friggin' cartoon characters, man. I, oh, I'm my kinda, God. I, dude, if you look like a cartoon character, if your name sounds like a cartoon character, I will never be voting for you. Ever. I, saw I think everybody, I think everybody like should. He's like, should be petting a cat like Dr. Evil. He has a shitty grin on his face. <laughs> and he's just evil when it comes to. He totally does. Yeah, somebody oh should God, Photoshop a cat. Photoshop a cat. They I'm sure should. they already have. No, I'm they sure probably they probably have. Yeah, that's that's friggin' funny. No, what but I like is he, that a 17 foot long, 100 
140-pound Burmese python was removed from Big Cypress Natural Preserve in Florida. Did you see that it contained picture? 73, oh. contained 73 developing eggs. 17-foot-long, oh 140-pound Burmese python. Who is the freak that had this in the first place? And then why did you let it go? You are a freak if you let something like that go. What and how oh does something God. get that big? Is that for how does how does oh well that's grow? easy. It's, it's out in the middle. So it's much? out in the middle of the yeah no a big cypress natural preserve. That thing eats crocodiles. It's seventeen feet. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? Take on whatever My grandmother to. she couldn't watch a snake on TV. If she saw a picture on TV, she'd have to get out of the room because it wasn't turned the channel remote that much back then but no i oh, thought it was, was a, i thought it was a perfect a perfect segue from number 45 and his administration <laughs> and Kristen gildebrand true. to a 17 foot long 140 pound burmese python i wonder if they found any orangutans yet. they find any orangutans eggs. in big cypress national preserve in florida because isn't that down there by mar-a-largo you find any orangutans yeah. Or did you find them in Germany yet? Or did you find them in New York? Where'd you Where'd you find the orangutans? Did you find any of those there yet? Because this, I we, they saw an, we're all they, confused. They did find. Uh, I think they found an empty can of orange spray tan forty five lying around. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think they found anything else. <laughs> I so I still want to Photoshop a meme, dude. I I, I so I, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm not. I'm not, you know, that that good at this. I, I got to get my daughter to do it or something. Somebody that can actually. I know we need to know, do something you know, with it. We got to create get on a meme because it's hilarious. Somebody it's much hilarious. younger. I like both those memes. I like the Doctor Evil one with the cat with Steve, and I like the spray can with Trump. I think those would be hilarious. Yeah, I saw that article and I thought that was unbelievable. Seven. Oh my God, 140 pounds, 173 eggs gotta be crazy wow i i'm just i i i'm kind of glad that well you know that that had to have other it had to have many others if it's got 73 eggs in it right now currently developing dude that's a fully grown burmese python i mean that's that's a huge python you know it had to be pregnant before you know it had to have eggs before so there's a whole shitload of Burmese pythons roaming around oh, can you down imagine? there in Big Cypress National Preserve right now, just taking out everything they can. That's an invasive species. Did you guys ever go to the swamplands and, and everything down there while you're in? One of the reasons I haven't been to Florida because uh, I don't like all that shit. I don't like bugs. Yeah, no, I don't it's like disgusting. Gators. Did you guys go? Dude, the, the entertainment business, yeah, when she was filming Every Which Way, they did film in the Everglades. The, the entertainment business down there left, okay? They left because there are no incentives to film. There's an education incentive in Florida, and, and that means that you have to, you'll get a couple of million dollars for your project, but you'll, you have to, or hundreds of thousands, whatever it is. Um, whatever it is that you're asking for, you, you usually get part of. And, but you have to use a whole bunch of interns. So that means your whole production is filled with interns. Your, your production's going to be garbage. I'm sorry, but if it's just people wandering around trying to figure out how, how something works instead of actually knowing how it works and being taught then how it works um, by somebody who knows how it works, uh, they've got all these people running around that don't know anything about production. So 
you've got no you've got no incentives and and then there's a everglades incentive where they'll give you like on your 20 million dollars for 20 episodes they'll give you 3.5 million dollars to go and film in the everglades but um uh, nobody wants to film in the freaking everglades what are you freaking (laughs) crazy nobody wants to there's mosquitoes let's start there there's these little things that are called no seums, which I, I'm pretty sure you can fucking see them. Excuse my language, but there are no seums. <laughs> uh, hen haze, I think, or, or hen hens um, in in Spanish. Uh, they they are little tiny tiny bugs that just bite the shit out of you, and they're all over um, oh. uh, the Everglades as well. And and then oh wait, I'm sorry, 17 feet long, 140 pound Burmese pythons. <laughs> what? Are you guys nuts? And then let's just, you know, oh, crocodiles, both saltwater and freshwater, oh, alligators. Uh, uh, gee, let's continue. Uh, there's probably, I wouldn't doubt it, there's got to be some Gila monsters down there at this point. There's got to be some freaking Komodo dragons. There's, got, there's all sorts of shit in the Everglades that nobody, I forgot about uh, even like the cottonmouth and, and uh, the water moccasins, and just the basics, just the freaking right. basics and snakes. So, you know, nobody wants to film there. So all of production left Miami and all of production left Florida, which is really bizarre because you still got Universal in Orlando and Disney. What the hell are you guys doing? All the production should be there. Um, You would think. No incentives. Yeah, no incentives. Especially Disney owning everything and Fox and all that that it's bought. You'd think they'd have a huge industry down there. Dude, Daylight Sucks is, I based it in Miami because I thought it would be interesting to take on the whole vampires in a very, very sunny area, which is Miami. And, like, how do, how do they survive? And, and it's, it's easy scientifically. So, um, I, and they don't glow, by the way. That's the dumbest freaking thing from Twilight. <laughs> um, we glow. No, you don't. Um, anyway. Uh, and, and I, I'm, I was looking for incentives to, cause I, I'd like to, I, if it goes to a series or something, I'd like it to be, uh, I'd like to, it to be filmed in Miami, but there are no freaking incentives down there. I was going to do a, uh, a, a, a scissor reel on it. And I had a number of different people that wanted to do it. And, and I, then it was like, there's no freaking incentives. I can't, I can't get the thing funded just, just by Miami. And, it's about tourism dollars, guys. It, it, you still it, need to make so a sizzle reel, much. though. We got to get something going with this thing. You got to make a sizzle no, reel. Right. It, it, no, it, it takes like it takes like five years. I got a I got a company and it's um they're called Scenic Rights. They're located in Spain and they're located in Los Angeles, and they've been pitching it. They pitched it at Con. So I, I got you know it, it is happening, um, but it takes a while, and especially when you've got people like Weinstein who freaking get nailed on this me too stuff. And when he's been denying the whole time, he's saying everything is consensual. Um, but right. regardless, if he's a douchebag or not, regardless, we are missing his money. We are missing his funding right now. The Academy said that he was no longer allowed to produce films. I, dude, that's, uh, there's a lot of money that he has been associated with over the past 20, 30 years in, in Wasn't his brother part of the company, though? Wasn't there the Weinstein I, Brothers company? Can't the uh, brothers still do it? I don't, I don't I know. But the Academy said that he's not allowed to. And I'm like, 
there would be no Quentin Tarantino without him. There, there, right. all, there is so many films that would not have gotten greenlit without a person like him. And I know he may be a complete douchebag. He's saying he's not. He's, so at least he's defending himself in all of this because some of this actually is kind of a witch hunt. And, and I mean, a legit witch hunt. You know, yeah, there's so many things. I mean, all the way to Creepy Joe. It's like, what guys, you know, there's so many people that are actually genuine in their affection for human beings. And, and yet there are other people that are just complete freaking douchebags that have no, no worries or no, uh, yeah, no, they're not worried about, uh, you know, attacking somebody else. And they're not, they're not worried about even if that person says something. So they, they can't, they can be that way, but he's vehemently denying it at this point. He's saying everything he ever did with anyone was consensual. Weinstein. So I, you know, I'm, I, but I do know that his money is missed. It's, it's missed for, I hate to be selfish, but for something like Daylight Sucks, he could easily right. fund something like that, be it a movie or be it a TV series. And, I, you know, I, until he's proven guilty, I, you know, I can't, I, I, it, everything's hearsay. Everything. Yeah, I tend to think he, he kind of looks like the type that probably is guilty, but maybe not of all of it. But I think I, you know, you can't judge it. You cannot judge a book by its cover. Isn't that one of your cliches? Well, you I, don't, I don't mean that. I just cliches, mean, by the way. yeah, I hate it's, it's, cliches, I don't mean man. by look they never as make far any as looks. Sense. I don't mean by looks, but I just mean just the industry and all the people. There's too many people that I would say thing has to happen untoward along the way whether it's as rampant as it was people just jumping on to jump on the train um that's one thing but i don't know yeah. we'll see what happens we'll see how it plays out i think I anyone's going to deny the charges no matter what nobody's supposed to say no i did it <laughs> no there's really people out there no, no 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 there's people out there like like joe biden is not apologizing for his behavior right. he's not doing it and what he is doing though from what i can tell is he's actually asking people, is it okay for me to hug you? So he has learned that other people's perception of his actions can be misconstrued. And, they, and his actions can actually make people feel uncomfortable. That's their feelings. That's, that's their own feelings, you know? And, but there is this right. thing about saying it in the moment, you know, coming out five years later, dude, I, I, it makes me just look at people and go, or 20 years later, it makes me look at people and go, wait, you're full of shit. I immediately am like, you are just full of shit. Even though you're a woman, you're, you're, you're probably did, you probably did get assaulted and, but you didn't come out right at that moment and say, look, I feel uncomfortable. Don't do that to me. You didn't you didn't just stand up in that time and say anything. So to come out five years later and to be saying shit, it really makes me uh, like I like I'm looking at it like, yeah, no, you, you didn't you, you, you didn't feel uncomfortable at that time. Otherwise, you would have said something at that time. You know, and, and all well, these I don't know. That's the part of the problem, though, isn't it? Not, and it's hard for us to talk about it. As women, but I think that as, as men and not being women, I think that's part of the problem. They feel that they're not going to be believed at the time, even let alone five years later. But they feel that 
it's that you misunderstood what the guy was saying. They feel they're not believed. They're feeling um, intimidated to come out. I can understand why some people, I think there's some legitimate reasons why people don't do it for a long time. I think some people are full of baloney, but um, I can see, I mean, it's hard for us to say it as men, um, what it's all about. But I, I think, you know, there's been times, no, 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 no. Katie, Katie Barberi is my fiance. Okay. She's an extremely, extremely hot actress. All right. Extremely freaking hot. You got to look at some of the Instagram posts. Look at dude, super freaking hot. Okay. And, and I, I know this, obviously um, she's my fiance uh, and she's extremely talented and she's extremely smart. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I, I I've, I, I've seen this happen over and over and over again, where people, and especially in the Latino community, they, and in, and Europeans also do this. They walk up to each other and they'll kiss each other on the cheek. They'll kiss each other on both cheeks. They'll hug right. for extended periods of time. They will reach out and touch a person, not inappropriately, but even so, like I've seen guys actually touch Katie in front of me on her hips. And I don't say shit. First of all, I'm not jealous. Second of all, I understand that they are being genuine as far as what what their what their what their intention is. She's a freaking star. They they want to be a part of that. They want to and and she's being close to them right now and she's you know, it's usually when we're in a, like a party setting of some kind and where, you know, she's being open to people and, and the, the Latin community, from what I can tell is very like touchy feely when it comes to that, where with me, I'm a gringo and I would immediately be like, yo, get your hands off of Katie. And, you know, and that's not, but that's not where that's what's going through my head. But that's not the way I need to react. It's not appropriate for me to react right. in that moment. And, and, you know, later on I'll, I'll, I'll say something to Katie about it, but it's always, it, we don't fight about it. It's, it's, it's tradition and she recognizes it and, and doesn't feel uncomfortable in those times. And she's always like, you know, dude, if, if I ever feel uncomfortable, like, like if some guy is actually going like too far, you know, with the way he's touching me, I will actually flat out right then say, Hey, Craig, we're leaving, you know, and, and, and be like, it'd be like, you know, this is, this is messed up. So she'll actually say something. So, right. you know, and that's what I'm talking about as far as in the moment for these women, I know you, you might be scared, but dude, or intimidated, but you got to stand up right then. I mean, dude, if Joe, if Joe Biden comes up in back of you and whispers something in your ear and you're uncomfortable, don't laugh at his joke. Turn to him and say, get your creepy ass away from me. You're invading my space. That's what right. you say. You do, and you do it right then in that moment. But uh, from every picture and every single video that I've ever seen of a guy like of Joe Biden himself, hugging or touching someone always been a friendly thing always from both sides from whoever the individual is that he's 
as well. It's always a friendly thing and a, and a, and a thing that they absolutely, I'm sorry, absolutely expect. I sounded like a freaking cartoon character there for a second. I don't know what <laughs> happened to my voice. It was very, very strange. Um, but they, they absolutely are, are, are like, are, are like accepting his, his compassion. Right. Well, like I said, we talked about it last week. I think his comes from a place where you should be able to feel where he's coming from. That's why I have a trouble believing the, the, the one girl that first said something, it's like, you need to know that what you could tell where it's coming from. You knew it wasn't sexual. You knew it was coming from a place. And then that's, that's where you really need to say something or say, eh, or at least tell a best friend about it or something. I, I can understand being intimidated. Like I said, it's very hard talking for other women. I don't, I don't talk for women because I'm a guy. But um, you need to be able to tell someone, if I could offer any advice to any woman out there, tell someone. If you don't want it, you're embarrassed, whatever, tell your best friend, tell somebody. Um, embarrassing or not, you, you want to have someone on the record of that. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hate I hate giving advice as a man. That's just silly. Uh, no, but, I, I you know I, I'd recommend women please call in three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six so that you can give your you know your your response or a, at least come and stand on the soapbox and talk about the go. women's issue because we can't we can't I'm a dude and so is Scott so we have a, a hard time talking about um, women's issues. I, I'm willing to, to go there um, just because I'm very, uh, uh, I'm an ally. So, oh, know, I'd love I, to listen, I, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to give you guys three minutes to call in because we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to puff our cigarettes and drink our coffee and be back in a couple of minutes. We're going to play a little Katie O'Brien mm, with Vapor. Coffee. Give us a call, 347 989 You're listening to Standing in My Soapbox right here on Left to Straight Radio Network. Going over it about a thousand times Wonder if I'm ever gonna get it right All I really need is one more magic word Pacing up and down my face How will I get this? What we're gonna do about this All the days and the nights that we miss So tell me what we're gonna do about this All the days and the nights that we miss Later, never realized
how we've been. So tell me what we're gonna do about this. All the days and the nights that we've been. All the days and the nights that we miss. So tell me what we're gonna do about this. All the days and the nights that we miss. We are back. Thanks for listening to Staying on My Soapbox. We are waiting for you to call in 347-989-0126. Craig and I might need a little schooling on women's issues. I want to talk about the uh, three black church that's been burning in Oh, no. Louisiana. Oh, no. Katie, yeah, no, I just went upstairs to smoke and, and to go outside and smoke. And Katie's like, really? Quit defending Harvey Weinstein. Guy's an asshole. And I'm like, ah, we don't know that. But she's, you know, she's calling me out immediately. So, yeah. Three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that some more. Give us a call on that, ladies. I want to talk about these uh, the church burnings going on in Louisiana. I want to talk about a possible city on the ocean. I don't know if you read that story. I think that's kind of interesting. And while we were on break, and I was sipping my coffee, it looked like world. We need to give someone a moderator thing who could cut us off on the radio because I guess Whoopi Goldberg had to keep uh, Megan McCain and Joy Behar from coming to blows today on The View over immigration and, and Gillibrand. Really? So, yeah, I guess they're going at it again. I'm, so I missed all of that. I don't, well. I don't watch The View. I don't either. I just was watching the headlines, and it's like trending on Twitter, I guess. It was bad enough that it's trending on Twitter right now. What so, would Joy say that, or what would Joy say that would cause McCain to go off like that? I, I haven't got read into it yet, but it's, it was something about Gillibrand and this new guy, and this new guy wants to help send money down nations like Guatemala and stuff, which is what we've been talking about for a while. It needs to be done, and right. uh, McCain says, "Oh, that's just another liberal view. Like give everyone a house, like all you liberals want to do here." And I guess Joy was just not having it, and I don't know. Interesting. I, I, so I read so during my coffee break. I didn't get to read quick enough. But. It's it's really hard to have conservatives and liberals um, talking right now for some reason, and uh, I, I really think you know the, that like this is a format where we let you talk three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. I, I, I you know on your mind. 
Yeah. Brian. <laughs> um, I, I, I will be confrontational, but you know, I mean, that's what this is about. We, if, if, if you're hurting my delicate sensibilities, um, then, or someone else's, then, you know, I'm going to let you know. Three, four, seven, nine, eight, nine, zero, one, two, six. Um, but, uh, I wanted to, uh, Kelly Clarkson, uh, this is just nasty segue. Um, Kelly Clarkson was mistaken <laughs> for a seat filler at the ACM awards. Uh, how funny is that? <laughs> Kelly's like quite possibly the only American idol that American idol created. So, or found yeah. her and um, Carrie Underwood, I think are the only and two. Carrie Underwood. Yeah. Well, yeah. what's his face is really good. Uh, uh, Adam, uh, the guy that uh, that is oh, Lambert. now yeah, he didn't win. Yeah, Adam Lambert. Good. He's yeah. now the lead singer of Queen. Um, right. Yeah, and he's isn't he doing it on Broadway? I'm pretty sure he is. Um, well, he's but, touring with uh, him everywhere. He's touring everywhere. Oh no, he is touring. So yeah. 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 No, that's that. You know, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, if you're filling Freddie Mercury's shoes, you are an idol of some kind. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I've always felt American Idol has never truly found an American Idol. Um, I, I, I think they've missed on some of them. Um, uh, just like right now, Nick Mariko. So I think they, I think they're, they missed on, on figuring out what, you know, all of this, uh, what an American Idol actually is. There was another lady, uh, or another woman that was on uh, last season. Uh, I, I, wow. I, I, I am having a hard time. Remembering. For some reason, a couple of weeks, I'm having a hard time remembering people's names. She was, I, I can't even remember whose daughter she is. I, and that I was looking at like, like that's an American idol already. And that is somebody, and she got voted off like early on. Yeah, she did. I don't know if she even made it to top 25 last year. And it right. was somebody, some, some rhythm and blues, uh, artist, uh, daughter and, uh, uh, God, man, I, I, I'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they've never truly found, uh, an American idol, you know? And, and if they did find them, the, all they did was grace their stage for a second and then they let them go. American Idol's really messed up in the fact that it is a star system. It's they're using an old, you know, an older system, <clears throat> excuse me, and adopting it and adapting it to 2019 and or adapting it to the 2000s. And it's right. and it's a way of of building people up. Uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, what's his face? Uh, Tom Hanks and, and uh, Spielberg. They made a, a movie, um, That Thing You Do. And it was all about that, that type of, yeah, it's a great movie, right. but, you know, the name of the band is The Wonders, and it's because it's a one-hit wonder. And, and all of, a lot of these people that, that come out of that system end up being <clears throat> wrapped up in that system for years on end. You know, there's people out there that are currently performing in different contests, and it's like, American Idol season runner up number 10, you know, or, or season 10 and, and runner up. And, and it's like, what that's, that's your claim to fame. So I, I understand it when those people that are really artists turn in are like, yeah, no, I'm out. 
And, and I don't want to be a part of, you know, this, that machine, even though those machines are what have been a standard in the entertainment business forever. I mean, even the Jackson family, that's a freaking machine. And that's been that way since the early, what, 60s or late 50s. So right. that, that whole thing, that's a machine. And and it's a big money making machine. What Michael made like four hundred million dollars this year, and he's been dead for how long? And he just right. beat Prince for the first time. He just beat Prince. Prince usually they're they're like three hundred million each, and they, and one gets like Prince made like three thirty or something. And and Michael was always under that, and he just beat Prince for the first time. And now they're both wow. dead. Yeah. We talk about Amelia Hammer Harris on Idol last year. I don't know. No. Okay. No. I think so. No. Yeah. 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 That's exactly who I'm talking about. Yes. That's exactly who I'm talking about. I really thought that she. What was her name? Amelia. Amelia Hammer Harris. Yeah. And Harris. What's what's uh who's her dad? Um, I had it here as a second. Wait a second. No, she was a freaking brilliant. Fire Jack Hammer. He wrote. uh, Yeah. Yeah. He wrote Great Balls of Fire and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and she's really, really friggin' good. I mean, really good and really tall, statuesque. Like, has right. definitely has a persona already. Has all these things that that are an idol, and she's got the DNA to prove it. So you know, it, it it's something that that you know. It, Yes, nepotism does run strong in the entertainment business. It runs strong in every <laughs> business. Look at the freaking White House right now. Are you kidding? Nepotism everywhere. So, you know, it runs strong everywhere, and, and especially in artists. Are, you know, most of the Did time, your daughter someone... Did by the way? Did your daughter my daughter? Oh, no, she's, she's it, totally into cosplay. She, she act, absolutely has the bug, if you want to call it that, as far as acting is concerned, because she plays all these different parts in, at different conventions. So she's constantly changing up what they're going as. And it's really, it's really cool to watch. Um, she, during high school, was uh, taking, uh, she was in um, doing stage, man- uh, stage manager for all the plays, when usually that's a job that's assigned for like seniors. So she was always taking those jobs that, you know, that other people were supposed to be doing. And it's only because she did them better. Um, maybe it's, you know, she knows how to talk to actors that I, I am her dad. So, you know, she may, she may or treat them, you know, and, and be like, yeah, I know, I know how actors work. So that would make her a really good stage manager. Um, but uh, I, I, she, she's she's doing her her own life she's she's doing really well right now um but uh yeah um i forgot what i was saying you threw me off now i'm thinking about my daughter we're just talking about nepotism in hollywood and this this girl saying her oh. own idol and how it's tough yeah to get, yeah that that that, that, an that is an idol amelia is an is an idol she she absolutely is and american idol missed it they missed it you know, if you've got an actual idol on on your show, you, you, you better keep them on the show and they better win. <laughs> it's a freaking idol. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm like, what are yeah, you doing? Yeah, they kind of change the format from year to year. Some years they're going for the look. Some years they're going for the backstory. I mean, they all, 
all these reality shows have their angle they're trying to push. And, you just wonder and isn't, what it's going to be. The music hasn't counted as much for many of the seasons. Or, or the actual qualifications to be an idol. I, right. You know, I, I love, I, I, it's the, the girl with the, with the I, I don't know her name either, the, the girl with the, with the um, ukulele one last year, right? Oh, right. At the oh, year right. that yeah. Amelia was there. Um, and, right. and, you know, I, I love her voice and, and, and I love her songs. And I think she's a freaking little genius, you know, player and songwriter and performer. Um, I, but an American Idol? I, I've got a question on that. You know, I mean, you uh, when you actually America's have got talent, are you talking the American? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I am. <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> it's, they're all they're all meshing for me. All, all the, the shows all the are, shows are all, all the song shows. They're all meshing together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably am talking about AGT. Sorry. I, Simon's got me confused on all of this. OK, he keeps know, jumping Simon from one show on to the other. Shows. He can oh. just stop going on all these shows. That's that's all there is to it. Really uh, we only have by 10 the way, minutes Sammy left. Cole. Let's go ahead and jump into, did you happen to see the story about the cities they want to build on the ocean that can withstand Category 5 hurricanes? This would be up your alley. Water world. Is it possible? Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we have, yes. Yes, we can build all sorts. I feel like the $6 million man again. Um, uh, we can, we have the technology, we can, we have the money, we can build these things. Uh, we can build sustainable structures. And my, my whole complaint, or if you want to call it a complaint, uh, I, I, I got millions of people that are also complaining. If you want to call it a complaint, uh, you guys engineered the hell out of this place. So your engineering over the past 50 years has kind of sucked. And I've been a part of it. I've been a part of it. I'm a Department of Transportation certified concrete tech. So I, I've been a part of, I'm an inspector on, on a number of different, I could have done asphalt as, as well. And I chose not to because I think it's just spilling oil everywhere, um, and which is just dumb. Uh, we need to stop using it and we can create sustainable highways, sustainable buildings, all of these things that, that, will actually recycle the pollution that's out there and um, use it and to create energy. And then it will also withstand hurricanes and tornadoes and however bad it gets. We can, we can actually figure it out so that these things can sustain, you know, 900 mile an hour winds if we need to. So, you know, we can't, we can do this. Um, it's going to take a lot of, of, people really starting to think ahead instead of thinking about the bullshit that's going on around them. So they have to think ahead and they have to think for future generations. Um, The, uh, the American Indians and the North American Indians, the South American Indians before they were invaded by Europe, uh, uh, they all, thought seven generations ahead and they were planning for those generations that they would be long dead by the time those generations appeared. And they wanted to make sure that there were still things here for them. So they didn't like, they didn't destroy the entire bison population in North America. 
they would wean it out. I mean, they would uh, filter it out. Like they would only go after the weaker and, and let the stronger ones survive so that the stronger ones could go and mate and have more bison. Um, it was the cavalry, the U.S. white cavalry, that killed off all of the bison because that was a food source for the North American Indian. It's called genocide, folks. You white people have been doing this forever. You proud of yourselves? Cut it out. All right, really? Very oh, cool. Yeah, my my rant funny. just kind of ended right there. I'm I'm just freaking tired of white people thinking that they're superior. Dude, you're so inferior. It's a joke. Dude, just I'm serious. I'm serious. Any any one of you, please just go and try to I don't know play basketball against oh I don't know Magic Johnson. Go go and see if you're superior. Any white person out there, and they're not. Nope. Agreed. Well, everyone has talents. They're talented. In and Magic's race. what? Magic's what? Six sixty-five, and I'm I'm like, no, he could still kick your ass. <laughs> and it's because he's superior when it comes to this. He's superior than you. So there's got to be some respect there, and you gotta you gotta actually sit back and go, wow, he is superior to me in in that aspect. There might be some other areas that he's that you're superior than him, but he's also a financial freaking genius that dude owns magic johnson actually owns michael jordan clothing magic (laughs) johnson owns michael jordan clothing he doesn't own nike because that's a separate deal that's a deal that michael jordan made with nike so he can't get into that deal but he owns all everything that says michael jordan on it is is owned by magic johnson he's a freaking financial genius so yeah, not only is he better with like movie theaters and stuff and expanded to about 8,000 other things. Yeah. And, and Starbucks and Starbucks. He bought a bunch of Starbucks um, and he bought one in particular, uh, which you're not allowed to do. He had to make it, make a deal with Schultz with Howard Schultz, the guy that owns Starbucks. Um, uh, and he brought them into lower income areas. And actually that low, one of those lower income uh, Starbucks won the fricking lottery. Not only did they win the lottery by Magic Johnson owning the Starbucks and letting you know opening a Starbucks in a lower income area, which never happens um, because they don't do that. They only put Starbucks in up and coming areas, right? That's uh, that's a little discriminatory right there. So, um, but that's a whole other story. Um, so Magic Johnson was the one that implemented putting them into lower income areas, and then they actually won the state lottery. Like all of the employees won one of the million dollar lotteries. So they don't all of his employees at that Starbucks, at that particular Starbucks, don't have to ever work again. But they choose to because Magic Johnson is their freaking employer and he's the coolest dude in the world. So, you know, that's and he gave them a break when they weren't getting a break. Um, And so not only is he superior to you, white person, not only is he superior to you physically, but he's superior to you mentally as well. How can you think that that is an inferior race? Uh, people don't, unless they're stupid, unfortunately. And no, there's a whole bunch of white supremacists out there that think that, that black people are, are, are inferior to them. And it's just complete horseshit. How can, how can you actually we, think that? Yeah, supposedly we have no problem with that. Wearing its ugly head anymore, according to 
45 and the people in charge there, but that's just ridiculous. Like we said, we have these, we have three black churches that are, that have burned down in three weeks. Yeah. In Louisiana. In Louisiana. Louisiana. Yep. One was over yeah, it's a still happening. Year old church or a hundred year old church. It's disgusting. Like, come on. You're burning up churches. That's ridiculous. For a race? I, I don't so see anywhere in there where it says anywhere in the Bible or anything about Christianity that says it's okay to burn another Christian's church. I, I what exactly. what are you doing? Hey, right. hey if you want to call that, in and okay. talk about this, three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Give us a call tomorrow. We're heading out, dude. We only have a couple what? minutes left here. Man. I gotta play a song. Get ready for a whole new radio show starting in three minutes here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, everybody call, treat guys. each other nice. Everybody there be nice. You go. Love your neighbor. Let's all get along. Can we all just get along? <laughs> You're quoting Rodney King. I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> Craig Hurley, Peace. thanks for standing on my soapbox, man. I, I thought you started. I thought I thought it was out already. What happened there? Nope. Why was there music? No. Nope. I don't know. I think maybe I double tap something or something. Very My odd. finger got itchy. My finger got itchy. <laughs> or just ghost in the machine, as always. Guys, nice. thanks for tuning in staying on my soapbox. We'll be here all week long, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern time. You're more than invited to call in at what phone number, Craig? That'd be 347-989-0126. 347 We'll catch you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Again, peace. Oh, I did double tap that.
Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Let's Straight Show. It is Monday, April 8, 2019. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and I hope you had an amazing weekend this past weekend. We hit 70 for the first time here in Northeast Ohio for quite a few months, so I basked in the haze and enjoyed myself immensely. A lot of fun. Uh, for those of you that follow me on social media, and why aren't you, by the way, uh, if you're not, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at, at Left of Straight, and it's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. And on Facebook and YouTube, as you look up the Left of Straight show. Anyways, I told everyone on social media over the weekend, I lost another phone on Thursday night because I'm an idiot. I was at the movies. I guess it slipped out of my pocket or something. Nobody turned it in. So this is the second time in just under a year because if you've been a faithful listener to the show, you know that last June during Columbus Pride, I left my phone somewhere and got lost or stolen again last year. So now less than 12 months later, I have lost it again. So good old Assurian is making lots of money off my insurance claim, 250 bucks a pop. So I lost my phone. So I was incommunicado for a couple of days, but they came through and I got it back Saturday. And after about an hour and a half, to actually about two and a half hours of updates, my phone is back in working order again, except it, you lose all your, your logins because you know everything's saved in your phone, or at least I save everything in my phone. So now I have to remember all my logins, and that's been kind of impossible. But I got all my apps back thanks to my iTunes backup and everything. I happened to restore it relatively soon from last week. So I have all my contacts, all my music, all my pictures. So I'm very happy about that. So I do have a phone again, so if you did not hear from me in a couple of days, I apologize, but we're all good now, right? So anyway, I hope your weekend was better than that. Just a few minutes for you guys have a jam-packed, fun show for you today. My first guest is a lawyer by day and pageant coach, of all things, by night, both on real-life pageants and on TV, I can't wait to hear all about that. So we have Bill Alverson coming on for the very first time in just a couple of minutes. And then in the second hour, I have a good friend of the show, Stephen Fales, coming back. He's bringing his Mormon Boy show back by popular demand to Palm Springs this month. And with him is the recently promoted artistic director of the Desert Rose Playhouse in Palm Springs, Mr. Robbie Wayne. So three guests today, a lot of fun, starting that all off in just a couple minutes. Uh, if you listen to the radio show last Tuesday, you'll know that I had a couple interns start last week. If you remember last weekend, I was training the interns all weekend. Well, they started last week, and uh, guys, they are pretty good, pretty good deal, pretty good crop of people. I'm very excited to have them on. Uh, we talked. Part of their homework last week was talking about the shows they might want to be developing and be their own host. They got some great ideas out there. Uh, they are on their own social media, so if you want to follow the interns, they are running Left of Straight Radio on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow it at uh, 
at Left of Straight Radio on um, Instagram and Twitter. It had to be weird because I have Left of Straight for my Twitter. So I think the Twitter is um, Straight Left of on Twitter. You can follow the in- the interns on there. They'll be here for the next four months, getting ready to produce some shows together, and we're having a really good time together. So it's a great, diverse group of guys and gals, and we're having a great time. So big shout-out to them. Thanks. If you missed last Tuesday's show, you can uh, hear a couple of my hat on the show, and I'll be introducing more as we go along. Uh, the Big Gay Road Trip, of course, is going on right now. Um we're going to be there for the entire month of June. If you haven't heard about it, this will be our second big gay road trip. Um, we went last year in August for a month of uh, August for live shows at the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs, California. The owners of Indulge, uh, John and Sandy, are very nice to invite me into the resort for a month. Bring all my guests from L.A. and San Diego area into the resort for a month or for uh, a couple nights. We did live shows every Monday and Tuesday. This year we're going back in June, and I really want to add a third day of shows. I want to add a day of show on Wednesdays where we can bring our women, friends, and allies. Because Indulge is an all-gay men's resort, I couldn't have any last year. So we're trying to raise money to help get some hotel rooms and some accommodations and do a third night, a third day of radio on Wednesday. So I have an Indiegogo campaign that kicked off last Friday. And to be honest, I'm horrible at asking people for money. And it shows because in one week we only had four donations of about $180. And our goal is to raise somewhere between five and 8000 um, in order to get the hotel rooms and everything we need for our guests down there and to help pay for a little bit of the money getting there and back. Last year I paid for the entire road trip on my own it was almost nine thousand dollars and this year i'm trying to do some expenses so if you have a chance i would love just ten dollars is all you need for a big day big gay thank you on the website and there's other perks up there um, where for every money you donate you can get a little perk involved a big shout out to lisa roscoe she was our very first contributor and then thomas cameron diane Evans, Arlingo. Pete Jakubowski and Christine Chia. So thank you so much for the th- for the five of them for donating the campaign. We're going to be doing it for another 30 days now. Please, 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 if you have a chance, you can look at it two ways. Go to Indiegogo.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. And uh, look under Big Gay Road Trip. Just look up in the search bar. Or you can go to the Left of Straight website, www.leftofstraight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight, .com, and you can go to the links for Big Gay Road Trip. You can, anything you contribute would be most helpful in helping us get this extra day um, of radio on there and bringing some allies and some women on the show while we're there, which would be fantastic. Uh, we do have a couple of media partners I want to thank. Big shout-out to Pink Banana Media out of New York and L.A., and, of course, the hashtag I Love Gay Twitter 360 Network is on board as media sponsors. We also just picked added today Hillcrest Social and Now Trending App out of San Diego, California, are our newest media partners. Thanks for Gem and joining on. They're going to shout out all the shows while we're down there and talk about the trip for us. So a big thanks to them. And as far as regular sponsors go, we have two so far, uh, CBT, CBT Candle L.A., and TH Productions, thanks so much for their support. Uh, we're looking for anything you can do, guys, for uh, gas cards, 
for food vouchers. Um, cash is always good. Whatever works for you guys, we'd appreciate it. So please check out the Indiegogo campaign or leftistraight.com, and I will be forever grateful for that. So thank you very much. Let's do a couple news items here, and we'll get ready to have Bill Alverson on in just a couple of seconds. Uh, big uh, shout-outs this weekend. CNN's Don Lemon, the uh, newscaster Don Lemon on CNN, announced that he accepted the proposal of his real estate agent boyfriend, Tim Malone, had a very cute proposal featuring the couple's dogs. Little P. Dogs were so cute. So a big shout-out to Don uh, Don Lemon for being engaged this weekend. And also designer Mark Jacobs married Char DeFrancesco uh, with a huge celebrity turnout there. Frank Ocean, uh, Bette Midler, Manila Zahn from RuPaul Drag Race, Rachel Zoe, so many more um, were part of the festivities there. So uh, congratulations to both of them for their engagement and for the wedding. In a little bit of political news, LGBT political news over the weekend, uh, my favorite, Pete Buttigieg, uh, was at the LGBT Victory Fund on Sunday in Washington, D.C., and did a very moving keynote speech. He talked about being gay and the struggles he had for it being younger and how he wished he could just take a pill and remove it. Um, but he's now so happy as he's happily married to Chaston and it was a very moving speech. I've, saw, I've seen Pete's of it. So that was very cool. And also um, Bobby Burke of Queer Eye fame and uh, maybe hooking up with AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Cortez. Um, they were going back and forth on Twitter while Alexandria is looking to redo her offices in D.C. and her apartment. So Bobby Burke from Career, I reached out to her on Twitter, and the two are meeting up in uh, Washington, D.C. I thought that was kind of a fun little thing. So, yeah, fun news going on out there. I appreciate you guys joining the show. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to have Bill Alverson on. First time on the show, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him. We're going to take uh, a little break and play, appropriately enough, from Frankie Grande. This is Queen. Listen to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio. We'll be back with Bill Alverson in just a couple of minutes. When I was nine, I saw this awesome documentary playing hip clips from the 70s. You know when Ziggy played guitar. It was the hair, the shoes, the glam, the booze, the ensemble and their glistening hues. They drew me in with their doe-eyed blues and I dreamed of being a star. A rock and roll fan. Queen of the rock and roll I'm an icon, baby, an institution. Nothing short of a miracle, inspiration. And I'll carry the torch for this rock and roll. Crowd working twice as hard singing 
We are back. That was Frankie Grande with Queen. Frankie's supposed to be on the show, I believe, on the 23rd, so be sure to look for that. Uh, guys, I'm excited to hear to have our next guest on for the very first time. He has an amazing story to tell from the courtroom to the stage. 
My first guest was a lawyer by day who turned a surprise side job into another lucrative career. As a lawyer, he successfully argued cases in front of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and the Alabama Supreme Court. And as a pageant coach and judge, he's helped crown four Miss Americas in a row. And his life has become a reality show in more ways than one, from behind the scenes on the series Insatiable to in front of the camera for Coach Charming. You're going to want to hear all about this and more, so let me introduce him, Mr. Coach Charming himself, Bill Alverson. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Great to talk to you, Scott. I really appreciate it. How's everything in beautiful downtown Alabama? Well, Andalusia, it's nice. We are full, full into, into spring, full into pollen, but it, it, it's almost getting to the pool weather. So it's, it, things are, are slow and easy in the south. It's, it's good. Very cool. Very cool. I, I've not been – south is the one place I haven't traveled. I've been to 42 states, but I haven't been to Alaska or most of the southern states. So I'm looking forward to exploring there this summer, which is probably the worst time to go, but I'm going to go anyway on the way back from my road trip. All I want to know from you, though, is I am like have a mad crush on your Senator Doug Jones' son, Carson. How can I sue him so I can get him in court so I can meet him? That's what I want to know. Well, you know, <laughs> well, well, you know his son works at, I think, works at the Birmingham Zoo now. Has done all his degrees in zoology. And, yeah, everybody has a crush on him. I, his dad's going to have a big uh, contested election in 2020. So I think every – Every, we, we've got to get a lot of support for his dad, if nothing else, to make sure that I think his name was Carson, and to, to keep him tip top and and out there in front for us. Exactly, because we need to keep Doug in there. Very good point. But yeah, he does have that. Carson is a cutie, and so I'm going to be going to every zoo in Alabama I can find until I find him. You got to give me the name of that one again, so I don't miss him. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead we, we can and do uh, that. Good deal. Let's get a little background information. I would like to start at the beginning from a new guest. Um, take me back. Where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you? And what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay. Um, I grew up, we moved around a lot, but mainly in a town called Dothan, Alabama, which is in the southeast center of Alabama. And I was extreme, extremely skinny, um, very skinny, actually, growing up. So Sports, I was a big sports disappointment in the family. I, um, my dad played at Auburn SEC champions. He was in the Cardinals League. My dad was state champion, and I quit baseball in seventh grade. And so my interests were in music, I theater, you know, piddled locally in that, and then, of course, was a big academic nerd. But at 12, I decided I wanted to be an attorney. And I guess in hindsight and reflection, that was one thing that gave me the edge competitively. I could be smarter than somebody, out-talk them. I, clear, I was really fast, could outrun them, and that's how I guess I survived bullies and worked on that and honed that in to becoming an attorney. So that's where that kind of path began. Nice. That's actually relatively early, 12 years old, to know you're going to do that. That's kind of a, a very forward thinking of you. I like that. Well, the problem was is once I got to law school, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do, to be real honest. And so I turn around now when I work with people to think beyond what's around the corner, kind of, you know, the old Pocahontas song, What's Around the River Bend. I kind of like want people to perceive that because everything was driven for me to age 22 for me to start my first day of law school. 
but then I didn't really think beyond that the next step. And so um, I guess going through some of that development and thinking process, all these things I think kind of played into the skill set that's helped me work with people on interviews or speaking or marketing or being persuasive. How can we do that? How can you gain what you your goals, what they're going to be? So right. that's kind of where I guess the the rudimentary start began. Yeah, and you have, I mean, talk about law experience. You have, we talked in the opening there where you've actually presented cases. Most lawyers don't even get step foot in a courtroom half the time. But you've actually argued in one at the Court of Appeals and Supreme Court. So you have to have some pretty darn good oratory skills, my friend. Talk about those two experiences. Well, you know, what's, what was really interesting is that I, I, I graduated law school from Alabama, was working in Montgomery. That's where um, – I started my first practice, and the opportunity came for me to move to Andalusia. I was married then and already had one child and one child on the way. And it's, we're, it's a unique little old town, and so I thought, well, that'll be great. But the workload that they had available for me was what I would be if I practiced, say, in L.A. or San Francisco or Columbus or Chicago or any major city where they would have a big, large firm that represented um, big companies or insurance companies, did big litigation. But we had that practice actually in this firm here. So at 28, wow. boom, I'm going into my first jury trial. Things happened quickly, and I had a case that uh, they appealed. It was one of these sue the big insurance companies. I represented the bad guys. But uh, I took it. It went all the way to the 11th Circuit on appeal. And unlike most law firms that would have come down going, great, that's fine, and they would have taken it from the young guys and given it to a more senior person to do it, because we were small and those are the kind of integrity of the guys that I worked with, I was able to go do it myself. And the thing that I've learned from that, which is something I also is like be prepared and be aware. When I did argue for the Alabama Supreme Court, it's when all the tort reform was going on in the 90s. Uh, a side thing, tort reform is when they were putting caps on cases and stopping the runaway juries and all that kind of stuff. And okay, I had right. one of the state statutes that was being contested. And so I walk into, walk into the court, and I had been a clerk at this court uh, years prior, but I walk into the court, and there's 20, 30 cameras. The, the courtroom is full. And at that point, it was like, shit, because uh, in all the other cases I had done, we had very little audience, but this was a big deal and a lot of press. So right. when my turn came to speak, I stood up, and one of the justices looked at me and said, hello, Bill, welcome back. And the other attorney just looked, and his face just went white, going, oh, well. Oh, my you goodness. Know. Oh, you my know, goodness. and so that gave me the edge because I had known those people. I had written proposed opinions for them, that kind of thing. So that kind of made me feel comfortable. Even I was starting to be caught up in the situation. I, and that's the number one thing where people screw up is that you're doing great. If you ever watch somebody sing or watch somebody do a talent or watch anybody perform, and they start off great, and all of a sudden – it kind of wobbles and kind of goes flat. It's because you start to think and be aware of your surroundings in a way that you become caught right. up in the moment instead of continuing your flow. And so that allowed me to do that, and thankfully it worked out well. Very cool. That's awesome that you're able to do that. And it's it, like it is. It's like you said. It's really good on your firm that they put the faith in the in you to do that because, like you said, a lot of lawyers don't see the inside of a courtroom and to keep going like that. No. That is fantastic. I love yeah, that. I had some fortunate things happen. I had a 
multi-million dollar case that I was defending and I was meeting with a um, company out of Chicago and I actually met them face to face. I walked in and they were like, Oh my God. And I'm like, what? And they were like, do you have an older partner? And I, and I had enough <laughs> gumption saying, Hey, you don't think I can do the job. You know, I can withdraw, we can get someone else, et cetera. And it was the, it was the insurance company that had the excess carry when they had millions of coverage. And the guy was also, he was in his late thirties and he was like, no, you know what's going on. All we want to do is bring it. Do you have a senior partner that, that can go to court with you? We will pay him to sit next to you, say nothing. But in case they try to pull a trick or a stunt, he's more seasoned. And we'll catch it. And it was kind of great that somebody challenged me on my youth, but that somebody else who knew the case said, no, we, he has to try the case. And thankfully, right. it, it was a complete win. But it where your ego sometimes can get caught up going, you know, damn it, it's me, or I've done this, I've earned this, whatever. They don't care. It's their money. You have to know what they're coming from. But I was really right. kind of fortunate. I say the good Lord looked out for me because we did something in this trial that it would have taken humongous balls for a 30-year-old lawyer to do. And my senior partner, he, he, we went to breakfast, and he, we saw an expert witness who – I had chewed up the day before, and he was like, why in the hell is he here? You know, he's already testified. And then the, my senior partner looked at me and said, I'll tell you why. You're going to put on your case, and they're going to call him back as a rebuttal to fix him. And I was like, shit. And he goes, you've won this case. Let's don't put on a case. Just rest. And we'll keep him because I got – he screwed up on – he had the wrong – it was some basic little things that I got him tripped up on, and he didn't see it coming. So if he got a chance to testify again, he could clear it up and prove their damages. And so we eliminated that. The jury literally was out for 12 minutes with a complete defense verdict. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. But the life lesson I learned from that is just because somebody says they don't like something about this about you, get your personal shit aside. Listen to what they're really concerned about. Can you still fix that or address that and kind of grow from it? So. I've been lucky that I had some things happen in my life at an early age that I think helps me talk with other people to prepare what they're doing, where we're going. Um, Right. You know, somebody comes at me, for example, I ramble a lot too, Scott, so so direct me, but they'll they'll, they'll come at me and say, you know, I don't believe in same-sex marriage. Well, you know, I used to look at them and say, to be polite and diplomatic, oh, I understand, but, you know, I get the different sides of the coin. Well, honestly, I don't understand why somebody doesn't agree with same-sex marriage. And so what I end up doing was holding my ground. I'm not going to enable your bigotry, but I'm going to do it in a way that I hope doesn't make the, the other person, the conversation defensive because I, I may love be the that, first, yeah. you know, I may be the first gay couple they've met. And so right. what I turn around is, and I will smile and say, well, obviously I disagree, but you know, one thing I can tell you is that you're, you know, you're entitled to have that opinion. But for me in my life, it totally makes sense. And this is why it's right. And then that conversation has gone off to faith and religion. It has gone off to um, when I, and then I'll even ask them sometimes, well, tell me, you know, what's your exposure with same-sex couples? What, what do you know? And because in my own experiences as, as a kid, I, I can't look back and say, I wish I had a different experience because I wouldn't have my children that I love and adore. But sure. the only gay people I knew up growing in Alabama were hairdressers and some traveling dancers that worked with dance groups and stuff. 
I really had no exposure with known out people. That's why I think it's so important for us to be visible. We don't have to be activists, but we just need to be honest and be visible. And that's what I do a lot. I, when I coach these, these moms, bring these girls to me, they may be 10. Well, some people will say, and I know a lot of gay people that do this, they, they keep their sexuality quiet in front of children. Well, you don't talk about where you put your dick, to be real honest, but you can talk about your spouse. Because I did that as a married man to a woman. So I will say, well, so-and-so, oh, you know, if it's something that relates to Doug, I will say, you know, that's just like my husband. I don't say, by the way, you know that I'm, I'm, I'm gay and I'm married and I have a husband because, believe it or not, everybody doesn't do their research. They just want me to make their child win or get the interview or right. whatever. So it's handling conversation in a way that um, is consistent with, quote, straight America, but it's same sex. And I will tell you, in, in – now, I have a lot of people come from all over places, but I deal with a lot of Southern people who live in red America. And I've never had an unhappy situation where I felt, and I read the room pretty well, any icy, cold, don't talk about that, that's not why we're here, none of that. And so right. I, I think that's how we have to change our dialogue a lot. I think so. That's why I love the uh, the presidential candidate uh, Pete Buttigieg because he is very uh, oh. his, his husband is just part of the package man and he he praises on him all the time and talks about him being the better half and I think that uh, that's what we need to see we need to normalize it it's not unnormal it just needs to be well, it, out there it, and I think we need to not shove it down anyone's throat but it's got to be there it's part of the conversation it's just everywhere. When we were first married, it was really funny because Doug has never been with a woman. He's, he, he's, he knows he's been gay from day one. He's been sure of it. And we've dealt with a lot of problems with his family and acceptance. But, you know, he, he grew up mainly – he lived a little bit in Texas after college, and then he lived mainly in South Florida. So he would pop in and out of the South, so to speak. And a lot of people, I think, right. check their lives at home. I mean, at their, where they live, and then when they go back home – they just don't mention it because it may upset grandmother or it may accept an uncle or the whole family is such trumpeteers. They don't accept people. And that's a tough right. thing. And I, and I actually work with people on how to handle that in dialogue, but you've got to walk the walk. But we were married and we were going through town. I'm like, I'm sorry. And I meet somebody, you know, this is my husband, Doug. And he told me, he said, you say that so easily. And I said, well, you know what? I've been trained to say, this is my wife forever. Or and it was never like, <laughs> There wasn't a thing, but we have on wedding rings, you know, and I got one gay couple got real mad at me because they kept saying, you know, they referred to their partner as their husband. And I'm like, oh, that's great. When did y'all get married? Well, we're not married. And I looked at them and said, then he's not your husband. Right. And they got real pissed. And I said, it's not a big deal, but I want you to think about this. We're no longer playing at marriage. We have the right to have it. So... I love you know, that. I've dated yeah. guys, but you know, so we don't need to act as if we're different or it's a different status legally. So that's your boyfriend, that's your partner, but that's not your husband. Because for you to put on rings and not be fully committed really diminishes the right that so many people have fought for, given their lives literally for, and we have that right to have it. You don't have to get married. Just don't for the convenience in a gay community or gay friendly people say this is my husband. When you haven't really stepped out and walked the walk in that, that's disingenuous. Right. 
to anybody else who's got married. And I know that makes some people mad, and they're in different places. And I understand how, you know, a few years ago you would say, I'm, that's my husband because you weren't allowed to have one, but by God, we're going to have one anyway. But I guess right. that's a lawyer brain to me dealing with it. But that's your status, and that's something – you know, they got really mad at me, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, but I live in Andalusia, Alabama. I had to go to another county to get a marriage license. I had to go to individually and talk to judges I'm in front of, former ones that voted me out of my law firm, and fight for the right, I guess, but politely use the skill sets I give other people because I wasn't going anywhere. And right. Good for you. We want it to where people awesome. don't have to go anywhere. You know, but that's what it is. I mean, every – it's amazing. When I was – I guess I learned when I was in my teens, I, or early 20s, I went to New York, and I was in a taxi. And, of course, this was like 19, probably 80. And where are you from? Alabama. The guy told me he loved George Wallace, and he starts doing racist stuff. And I'm oh, thinking – <laughs> and that's happened on more than one occasion when I would meet people up east. And then I realized that there are a lot of people that are dilettantes on issues in the, in the communities where they're comfortable. And when it's not comfortable, um, I get why survival, you have to keep your mouth shut. But in other areas, it's I'm not going to get invited to the party or I don't want them to know this about me. And that's the whole big coming out thing that's so fearful is that I had numerous people tell me, of course, they knew I was gay. It's not hard to look at my track record. But other people that only dealt with me professionally or only saw me as a dad – or didn't even consider how I was taking my pants off and with whom, you know, right. were like, they weren't sure. Or one time they thought, but they, I mean, even with my own family, um, there was different perceptions. And so sometimes we are, we are making status clear so that people 20 and 30 years behind us, hopefully don't get voted out of their firm, don't get shunned from church or excluded from family events. Um, and all those things I've experienced, and I certainly don't want other people to do it, but if I'm in a position to help change that, then, you know, the, even the Bible says, don't bury your talent, use it. Exactly. That's fantastic. I love all of that. That is so cool. Um, yeah, man, the law, the law has been on your side, man. It's made you a good order, my friend, for sure. I love that. And you really have to love the law because, I mean, your son's followed your footsteps, so I think you would have dissuaded him if he had problems. And even with all this other notoriety, you're getting everywhere else this every day. So you got to have real love for the love for the game, so to speak, right? Well, yeah, and you know what? It's like sometimes, and I'll tell you, Scott, I mean, I, I live in a little small house in Andalusia. We have a small house in Florida. We are not wealthy people by any stretch of the means, but I can eat and buy clothes I want. You know, it's fine. The practice I had before, the big firm type practice, was a lot more lucrative. I actually lived next door to a, to a very nice home that we lived in when we were married. And we had bought this small house as a rental in case we had parents. Ended up being, I didn't know the good Lord's plan. It was really meant for me to own it, so I had a place to go when my wife and daughters left. And But with that, my practice changed. And I got voted out of the law firm. I mean, basically it was – I was – unbelievably embarrassed. I um, took it personally, et cetera. But I, didn't have, I still had to eat. I had to pay bills. I had to pay mortgages. I had to take care of my kids. So I started going okay. into, I do criminal defense. I, I got them court appointed as a guardian ad litem to work for the mentally ill and represent children. And so now what I'm doing is using, I guess, my advocacy, 
advocacy skills a lot in different situations, but for people who don't really have anybody to speak for them and don't know how or what could happen and they could get chewed up in the system. And I call on a social, social conscious type lawyer, but I'm not one of these that's like all criminal defendants should be not guilty, but it is about keeping the playing field more equal. Um, you know, I had one client that came in and he, and he, and he, he was black and he was talking and I just popped off and said, hold up. Yes, I've done missionary work in Africa. I've been here. This is my job. You can't afford me, but I'm court appointed and you get me. And I made him be accountable to me, which helped us become more accountable to his case. Because this kid, when he talked to me on the phone, I didn't know what color he was. I didn't know his background, but he spoke with good grammar. He communicated well. Well, he decided to sell drugs, drop out of high school. And basically, my sessions for him were, yeah, I could fix him as a first-time drug offender, and I got the distribution, you know, reduced to possession, and we could get him on probation. But in kind of busting his balls and calling him out, I told him, because he thought, you're doing these other cases. I met him wait in my office, and, he, and I basically explained how the lay of the land was, that they were paying me, but he would get fair time from me, but he had to wait. You know, these other people that wrote me a retainer that actually paid me by my hour – their case got priority of that morning, but he was going to get handled. And then I sat down and talked to him and said, I thought you were smart and intelligent. I'm surprised you don't have your GED, but here's our plan. I said, we're going to get your ass out of this town. You are too smart. You can do well. And basically somewhere down the line, somebody never really called his bullshit out and really got to who he was. And then after we got him on probation, I talked him about how to transfer it to Florida to a bigger city. And he called me back to tell me he had a job, had, had his GED, and was doing something. And, you know, everybody doesn't have – they're not born into the situation. They have mom and dad sitting at homework, you know, or why aren't you at home, 17-year-old? Oh, you're out to four in the morning selling crack. You know, but we have to teach people to take care of themselves. And so I guess it gets the combination, but that's the kind of thing that – and it only work one out of ten times. Right. But we got if we want to change our communities in the world that we live in, where's our investment into really doing that? Very true. I love all of that. All right, well, let's segue into the fun stuff. We only have about twenty two minutes okay. left here. Um, I want to talk about this uh, pageant. Well, talk to me about the very first time you were approached to um, coach someone and how that came about. Well, the first time I came in of, of anything significant, I, I used to sing in the local church choir. I was most talented in my senior class. So, you know, I was singing and it got along real well with my choir director. And, and we had talked about a, a girl be- the year before that had competed in this junior miss program. And so she came to me and said, I've got this sweet girl that's in my class at, at the high school. Her parents are older. They're kind of disconnected. She doesn't really want know what's going on. Can she come talk to you? Would you work with her? Because I just want her to have a fair shot and be treated fairly. And she came. And I didn't, I had watched pageants before. I used to do it as a family thing. And we would watch and talk about the contestants. But, and I used to work in retail as a part-time job. So I was pretty tuned in to clothing and appearance. But literally it was just kind of reacting and figuring out. We did our, we did our talent. I changed her wardrobe. We worked on what things I thought was important. And she liked, I guess, appreciated the interest and effort, but she won. She beat all the local hometown favorite girls. They all were runners up, and here's this girl that has just been a sweet girl, kind of 
you know, she would have graduated. People would have not remembered her reunion necessarily. And that clicked. Well, as you know, with competitive cheerleading mom types, how did this girl win that nobody even saw her coming? And then they find (laughs) out I worked with her so that other people start calling me. And that kind of rolled into a pretty significant influence in this small little community. And then that branched me into getting involved with Miss Alabama program because it was kind of fun at that point because I, I really was just taking each girl individually. And that was what was different. I wasn't doing the same thing for everybody because we're not all the same type of people. And getting to know them, and I guess I, my, I have a lot of teachers and educators in my family, it's kind of watching someone grow and think and figure out and then be excited and, you know, and then see them do something. So it's like, you know, it kind of kind of like the, the coach discovering the new athlete. Kind of how right, it started. Right. And um, it all went from there. Uh, what surprised you about this world? I mean, this is a whole new kind of gig here. Was um, I mean, your skill set? Tell me how your skill set went into it, which we kind of talked about earlier. But tell me about uh, how your skill set works with these people, and what have you found surprising that you would not expect in this pageant world? Well, here the, uh, here's the thing that um, that I do that's different. I do treat every girl individually. And it mushroomed when a friend of mine has a clothing store here. His Keith Pittman and Keith has a store called Last Impressions. And he brought, brought in the number one pageant dress designer, and they were doing a trunk show. She encouraged him to have other things going on in the store. And I had, had, I had already worked with a few Miss Alabamas. And so he was like, will you – and he and I knew each other through the pageant world because I had been a director at one point and a judge and that kind of thing. But I kind of backed off because my son was doing all-star stuff. And the, and the pageants were interfering with that. So I just was like, you know what, I won't do it for a while. And he called me and said, hey, would you come do this? And I did. And, oh, my God, I, I, my time efficiency was horrible. I didn't really have a working plan, but it forced me to kind of handle it like a case. And so what I do is I get to know the girl. It's kind of like therapy. Find out where she is, who she is, what she wants to present versus what she really is presenting, you know, it's working from there and then thinking, how can we get that? I mean, you can tell a person all day long, you need to speak German, but if, they've never, if they're never going to expose to German, if they don't have a German book, if they don't have any way to learn it, they can need to know that all day long, but they would never learn it. So I find ways to, to work with them, and sometimes it's reading books when I know that they need to expand. You know, it's like a good teacher, maybe you learn the lesson unexpectedly, but they know that that's what they're teaching you. So I'd have them read certain books or I'd have them watch TV shows if they were a visual learner, or we would listen to books on tape. And at the same time, keeping up with current events to where instead of this is what I'm going to learn. And that's kind of my technique of where we build up from that I do a little bit differently. And then I cross-examine them, which is probably the most unique thing I have to make sure they can hold their (laughs) own. And then what are they going to do with it? But the, I, to answer your question about the most surprising thing I have found is that I have actually found that some of these pageant moms don't want their daughters to grow to become independent, to have their own brain, or do anything differently. I just assume mm-hmm. every parent would want their child to be the best that they could be. Well, right. And every one of those moms would probably say that's why they're paying money and bringing me to them. But I had to say to them when they would argue and I would intercede and, as typical mom and daughter stuff, but it is after being and working with me, their daughter may grow and change into a way that they did not expect. 
you know, I had one mother, and she'll, I, this woman will not bring her daughter back to me, I know. Just this past year, the daughter scored almost a perfect score on her college entrance exams and was going to Vanderbilt to be a physicist. And I asked her oh, amazing. Uh, different things, and I was like, nothing you're telling me makes me think you want to be a physicist. Why do you want to major in physics? Because everybody said that's what she needs to do. And I said, why are you going to Vanderbilt? It, oh. It's a great school, but it's not even the best school for that, and you can go anywhere You can go anywhere for it. Why are you not looking at MIT? Why are you not looking at Caltech? Why are we not doing these schools? Well, her mother went to Vanderbilt, and her mother decided that she needed to major in physics. The girl cried in my office, and her mother was saying, this is our problem. She's not sure she wants to do And I'm like, no, you want me to talk her into the life that you have picked out for her. And right. I'm still surprised when I get a mom who's decided or thinks she should be a nurse, not a doctor, because she, how is she going to be a doctor and be a wife and a mom? Or I could do this, and then we don't – oh, we can't go off far because we need to be close to mom. It's always mom's involvement. And sometimes I work with a girl after that, knowing that, gaining her strength to communicate at home – for them to also believe in the path that this daughter is choosing. And that happens. But it's when the parent is so insistent that their way, date this boy, still arrange marriage shit, you know, it's still there. You just sit back and go, wow, you want your daughter to be the best way you've decided the daughter to be. And nine times out of ten, it's reliving mom's life or fixing mom's mistakes. Well, I love your directness. Let's talk about that, especially this Coach Charming series that is just so fun yeah. to watch. I mean, your style, I've heard it described as tough love, Abby Lee Miller dance mom-esque. Talk about your reputation. Do you come by it honestly, or why do you think it works? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I'm in the middle of doing it, I don't, I don't seek out to be mean or cruel, but, yes, I, sometimes people cry. They rarely cry from a direct <laughs> assertion. They, moment, they mainly cry when they've been exposed or they're caught to a gap, like a smart girl that doesn't know the answer to the question. It destroys them. It's really funny. And I'm like, okay, we, now let's cave in my office and figure out how not to. But, yeah, I have actually been called Abby Miller. And um, be, because I, excuses mean nothing to me. You cannot put a placard around your neck going, I'm sorry. I stayed up all weekend long with my friends. Therefore, I didn't get to record events. Don't ask me questions about them. I mean, it's this <laughs> narcissistic, entitled attitude that young 20s and, and teens have because everything's been kind of fed for their past. That kind of hits pretty hard. And another thing is explainable is not justifiable. You can explain shit all day long, but if I'm not ready on a case and it starts Monday at 9, it's starting Monday at 9. And if I fuck up because I didn't do my work, then I'm probably going to lose my client because it's going right. to be revealed. So, you know, I, lots of times I'm the first step of accountability at a significant level with these people. Well, I want and, to have uh, a little Coach fun Charlie with you fun. a bit because I All want right. to have a little fun with you because I of your uh, promo for the show and a little bit of that tough love. So we're going to talk above it here. Give me your thoughts on these things as we go through, okay? So this okay. is – the uh, this is the promo for Coach Charming, and some of the best of Coach Charming. So let's play this, and we'll talk about it a bit because I think it's just fun as hell. Here we go. Turn. All right. Sideways. What do you want me to do? Turn sideways. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You got it. Yeah. 
right, show me. It's kind of like this, the way I, way I look at it. If I'm a surgeon and I'm going to cut out a tumor, am I going to use a butter knife? Hell no. Okay, well that looked like you took a on the floor. We can't, you know, we're not peeing. <laughs> My tongue is the scalpel. It's there. It's going to go and we're going to go to the core of the problem. Keep that distance there the whole time. Do I need to hit you 15 times so you know? Okay, good. My name is Bill Alverson. I live in Andalusia, Alabama. I'm an attorney. I'm a pageant coach. Walk to it. Milk the crowd. Oh my God, this is so wonderful. And we don't want to say, everybody look at my hoo-ha. Your dad will fall out of his seat. My son William practices law with me. He's my best bud. We're, we, he lives right around the corner from me. Today, the DA's office offered me a flea deal. That's bull****. He's married to Helen Ann, who is her own little spitfire. You can tell her not to cuff her in an oh, session, so? but you can't tell her that in Walmart. But more importantly, she is carrying my grandson. I want to meet your daughter-in-law so bad, it's not yes. even funny. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I mean, he does things intentionally just to aggravate me. But she's kind of funny to watch. My baby, Stella, is 15. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? To my right, right. Well, Last I time I checked, right. Is well, I cannot here. look at you when I'm driving. Oh, my God. Now, this was how long ago? This was like three or four years ago, right? My daughter, Blanche, yeah, yeah, was. was a top collegiate Division One basketball player. Blanche was the first Auburn athlete that's ever been a homecoming queen. And let me tell you, it was all about me when I walked across that field. Oh, yes, oh, it was. God Almighty, I didn't realize it till people said, could you puff your chest out <laughs> anymore? <laughs> I was married for 29 years. Four years ago, we decided to get a divorce, which was something very traumatic and hard for me, just the reality of that. If there's any good out of divorce. It is knowing your own identity. You are who you are. If somebody doesn't like that, screw them. Mm -hmm. But if you're always putting a coat of makeup over something, including your life, then you're not being genuine to who you are. And if you're living a fake life, you're not living a full life. And star power wow. Life's a pageant, people. Why not put it on stage? Bill is fantastic. It's an old saying down here. We got to sometimes take chicken and make it chicken salad. We ain't made no salad yet. I don't feel like I'm old enough to be a granddaddy, but then again, I live in South Alabama. People have kids when they're 17. I'm sweating like a whore in church well, with this damn thing on. Well, it's Alabama in June. Bam! Ever heard of <laughs> a wonderful little thing called a Kegel exercise? I think oh you get it back God, as much as you dish it out sometimes from the family. Okay. You're the first one on that stage. <laughs> so you want Alaska standing behind you going, what the hell? And star power wow. Whatever snakes are in your head, Medusa, Cut them out. Well, that looks like you took a shit on the floor. We can't, you know, we're not peeing. Oh my God, did you just suck helium in, in, out there out of a balloon so you could just be like happy and dumb? You have a real southern type accent. Don't try to change it. We can't fix it in two weeks. Why? White, light, white, and bright makes it sound like we're dumb. Do you have a dog? I do. I just killed it. We don't want our boobs to point down. Headlights up, not low beam. Look up to Jesus. He loves you. You're going to talk to him a lot. Shoulders up, boobs up, flat chest, roll the front, turn the side. You got it. Too much fun. How was that to film? Was it was it a fun of experience for you, or what did you learn about doing that kind of show? You know, it it, it was fun. It was. I am a person who doesn't soak up the moment. I'm always thinking about what we should be doing next. And while we filmed this, I'm still practicing law. So literally, I would shoot six hours do my office for two or do a full day, work at night, whatever. So I learned if I ever have the chance to do another reality show, which I, I hope something comes to pass, I'm, I'm going to be a lot more efficient. But it was great doing it with my kids. But you're right. They, um, 
they were actually kind of were making us look more nice. That's kind of what they were. The objective of the show was there was, I think the Duggars <laughs> were in major trouble at TLC. So they're trying to show the Albersons and then showing that I'm an ass, but yet my family will still come at me. They really do come at me. And, and they all do it at varying degrees with my son's the smartest of, all, of them all in that regard. But what was, what people don't know, you know, there's so much about reality that's scripted. You know, they bring a girl to of me course, they know sure. what her problem is, right? You know, the girl that I told her that I killed her dog, she had two rods in her back. And um, it was all about she didn't want to show her back because of scars and had been really kind of shamed by judging in major competitions of her not looking correct because of her back scars. But she giggled all the time she got, like, antsy. And that was discovered while we filmed it was the giggle. And <laughs> it came from this lack of self-confidence. We worked to actually correct that. I hit it head on, and we popped into it. And then literally we're working in sessions. The giggle has disappeared. And that was the kind of the magic of stuff that was happening filming that was really cool in a short period of time of, hey, bring this girl in for you. This is so-and-so. But it's kind of the way I, I operate. It's, you know, we just don't have time. If you and I lived in the same town and I really wanted you to think about something, I may talk about it kindly with you and we have a nice conversation. If we reach an agreement or you want me to help you do something, then two or three conversations later, if we're at the same point, I'm going to call you out on it because I don't, need to, I don't have time to waste being repetitive to give you a hand job. That's not my, my job in life. Right. But, you know, that's just not me. There are other people that do that, that are so kind and so wonderful. I like to see people move progress forward. I want my friends to push me too, you know, in keeping ourselves alive and stimulated. I probably will never retire. I have no goals in my life to ever totally quit working. I don't understand people that want to do that actually either. But right. I want to, I want, I, I, I'll take Viagra and say, Alice, for the rest of my life, I don't want to give up sex. You know, I don't want to give up playing tennis. You know, nope, so why great. should I give up my brain? You know? Well, last thing, we'll wrap so up the pads and stuff. I want, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I just want to wrap Go up because we're running out of time here. Let's wrap up the pads and stuff. Yeah. You've coached four eventual winners now. Is there something they all have in common that you can see and duplicate in others, or is it always based on the individual when you meet with them? How do you go about it? It's a combination. It's a combination of both. Every girl that won Miss America, the girls that I've had in Mission USA, International Junior Miss, National America Miss, um, any pageant, any girls that win all these, and I've had tons of girls win state. They know themselves, and they know what they're trying. They completely, now it may be us talking it through, but they notice they're consistent. They're not, so whatever happens, they're still being reflective of this character that's themselves that they're presenting. Um, but it's their character which makes it different and unique to each one. All those Miss America gotcha. one, they were they're all different. But they all knew what they wanted to sell and promote and how they were doing it and they were focusing on the goal and had worked to the point where if they ask you what movie they like, what book they like to read, where they're gonna spend their free time, it's still gonna be consistent with this girl who has done this other work or what her purpose of playing is. Very cool. I love that. Okay, very cool. I want to go on for a quick second on uh, your Netflix series you produced on. First, 
besides helping me meet uh, Carson Jones, you got to get me to meet Christopher Gorham because I've loved him ever since Covert Affairs. But talk right. about this insatiable. Were you surprised that the controversy was more about supposed fat shaming than being a gay pageant coach? I thought that was kind of funny, personally. I, 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 you're, thank you for that. It, it, you know, it, sometimes things are put out there in the world, and people bite them differently. I will tell you what the number one thing that puzzles me about the show is the fact that we don't have a lot of gay press following us. And it's, I think it all stems PR, the fat shaming. And then it became a lot of women thought, well, that's, they're just nasty. Look what they're doing. It did cause a lot of people to watch the show, on the other hand, and it got renewed really quickly. We had a, we're a top ten show of streamed shows last year. Right. But there is – in the fat shaming – Based upon the trailer, and I don't know if somebody thought that may spur it or whatever, but it was bizarre. But right before the show was released, the woman, I don't know her name, I don't really want to give her, I don't want to use her name because I think what she did was disingenuous, was on the Today Show or a, a talk show, was talking about body dysmorphia in Hollywood and how it's, you know, fat girls are pushed down. I get all that. I'm, I suffered from body dysmorphia, so I understand it 100%. But she sees this thing and the launch is on it. Like, you should have had a fat girl playing fat Patty. Um, she wore a fat suit. I think we're beyond that in the age of Hollywood. And I'm like, no, we wear um, – X-Men wear different – it's part of the costume of the character that sells the story. But what's right. beautiful in the show is that it shows that even for whatever reason, your body changes, your appearance changes. It shows that internally, if you haven't changed, you still have your insecurities and struggles still present themselves. And they show that beautifully with Patty. There are people that go and get their stomach stapled. They'll go to fat farms and get thin. But, you know, the Biggest Loser showed you how you had to change your perception of life and not be reliant upon food, and, but how that can attack in people that have those issues. There are people that right. are plastic surgery junkies, and we glorify that. My God, look around Hollywood. How many people have platypus lips because they think they need fuller, proper lips to get this role, to be liked, to keep this man, whatever, and they don't ever look, take a picture sideways going, honey, that's just not good. But they're caught up into their own craziness. But the other part about the growth of my character's bisexuality and discovering himself, I mean, God Almighty, any gay man knows how many married gay men we've hooked up with or know about or hit upon us, whatever. It's prevalent. And it kind of pulls the Band-Aid off that. And then it shows the other character who Bob becomes more me as well. My daughter said, oh, my God, Dad, at the end of it, they're both you. Because uh, Chris Gorham's character is very sure of his sexuality at the end of the season. And that's kind of where I am now. And Bob, based upon me, is still kind of like he wants to still have a relationship with his wife. He still wants to, you know, he wants to straddle the fence. It's okay to be bisexual, but it's also going with his internal struggle. And I clearly went through that. But then we have transgender actresses, and they're talking and counseling and things with a girl who who realizes she's a lesbian in high school and helps her come out and have the security, and then the girl gets her girlfriend. Where in the hell is that not in, in every gay publication to celebrate that we're showing not only these circumstances, but we have hired drag queens. We have hired transgender people in acting roles on our show. 
And right. No, I will I was, tell you, I'm a huge Netflix fan. I saw the show. I, I listened to the content. I fell in love with the content. That's how I knew about you when Jasper suggested you. It's like, I know who you're talking about because you have done a great LGBT representation on that show as well. And it just cracked me up that, that the controversy erupted and it wasn't about the LGBT stuff. And it's just kind of funny. And here's Yes, and I tell you, I will tell you this: When CBS bought my life rights, I had a sexuality clause because where I was in my life, I did it with the same thing as reality show. I even said with them, "Hey, the second season, if we're rolling, I'll bring out that I'm gay." I had not put on that I had a boyfriend on Facebook yet. I was still kind of taking baby steps myself, so I've gone through that process, and um, I'm and I'm very authentic and living it now. And so by the time the show came around. Um, of course, it was perfectly fine, but I had talked so much with Lauren that she was even writing things, and then later I was telling her, I didn't even know that really happened in your life. She thought she had made up a story, but the circumstances were very similar. Most of what Bob goes through his first year on that first year is things I have experienced in my life. I was shamed not from accused of being fondling a girl. That never happened. But I was voted out of my law firm in a small town where we were very prevalently well-known, and all of a sudden I'm practicing by myself. Right. And, you know, they didn't throw the gray flag out, but it was like, okay, because we were kind of wonderful family. Our kids are super successful. And so it was like, okay, so people would whisper and talk about me. When I did come out, I would go to the Wednesday night dinner at church for a year. Sometimes people sat with me. Sometimes people didn't. You know, you have circumstances that things happen that caused me to be outed at the way that both Bob's were on the show. So we lived through that. And I have found when I talk with people in New York and L.A. as examples that they think that being gay or being bi or whatever you want to be, it's, you know, people still get upset and don't do. And I'm like, I was on the other side of that coin for years and heard the conversations because nobody right. thought they were talking to anybody that was gay in the room. So I heard the thinkings of people. So therefore that helped me address those thinkings and how I presented myself. And that's what I hope we're trying to do in the show, um, what Lauren's doing with it. And um, I'm incredibly happy with the presence it has because it is, Crazy ass humor. The pageants are hilarious names, um, but then you see a real story that pops out of it, and then you're like, exactly. "Wow, that really does." Okay, yeah, and then that sells it. I think we can gain so much more through humor. That's what Will and Grace did for this country, and maybe we're doing something too. Even though surprisingly, exactly. we were not in any glad stuff. I was told that they're, you know, that people. <laughs> I'm hearing different things that they're unhappy about how we present the bisexuality. That you should be either gay. And I'm like, God Almighty, it's LGB is in there. You know, we're going to have to bring you back to talk about this. We got to wrap it up because I have another guest on the line. I know we're running a little over here, but uh, people, you got to see Insatiable on Netflix. It is a great show. Where can people um, contact you or get a hold of you if they want to do something pageant wise or they want to uh, just uh, talk to you in general? Where can they find you on social media or any website? Bill, yeah, Bill Alverson on Instagram or Bill Alverson on Facebook or alverson.bill at gmail.com is my email. I'm super easy to find. Bill, you've been an amazing guest. I have so much I want to talk to you about. I want you to introduce me to Carson and to Christopher. That's just the rule, okay? That's that's the law for next time you come on the show. 
<laughs> Perfect. Okay. Stay on the line for me, buddy. I appreciate it. Guys, we're going to take a quick right. break, and when we come back, I'm really excited to say we're going to have our good friend of the show, Stephen Fales, and, of course, he has brought on his good friend, Robbie Wayne. Um, guys, we're going to play out a little bit. Brian, Justin, Crum, and friends with Superfruit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. I won't justify Oh, you will see me thrive Can write my story I'm beyond the archetype I won't just conform No matter how you shake my core Cause my roots, they run deep Oh, oh you have so little faith We are back. That is one of my favorite acapella versions of Katy Perry's Rise by Brian Justin Crum and the guys from Superfruit and Pentatonix. Guys, I'm so happy to have my next two guests coming on the show. Stephen Fales is a frequent guest and friend of the show. His amazing one-man play, Mormon Boy, has been wowing audiences literally around the world. 
And after a run recently in Australia, he's making a command return performance back in Palm Springs this weekend. And Steve is bringing with him today the newly crowned artistic director of the Desert Rose Playhouse, who took a, took over that uh, great playhouse last year. Uh, Mormon Boy will be playing there this weekend. Robbie Wayne is an accomplished performer in his own right. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation, so please welcome back to the show Mr. Stephen Fails, and for the first time, Mr. Robbie Wayne. Hello, boys. How are we doing? Hey. Hey, Scott. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for waiting. I'm sorry we ran a little late. How's everything in beautiful downtown New York and Palm Springs today? Stephen, how are you doing, man? Hey, it is so spring here. It's like the first bloom of spring, and i just been recovering from Australia and uh, getting ready to come down to Palm Springs, where it's even more hot, isn't it, Robbie? <laughs> well, actually, I was just looking at the uh, temperature in my car on the way over to the theater, and it was 97 degrees and sunny oh. right now in the car. Oh, so my I'm not goodness. sure if that's accurate, oh. but it's at least close. Oh, my wow. gosh. <laughs> well, I yeah. can't wait to talk to you guys. Um, Steve, let's start with you. My guests know you pretty well by now, but I do get new listeners every week, so give everyone a quick recap of your life in about 120 seconds. <laughs> Tell hey. everyone a little bit about yourself here. Yeah, well, I'm Stephen Fales. I'm known as the Mormon Boy because I do this one-man play called Confessions of a Mormon Boy about being the perfect Mormon boy and married and, you know, that your your bisexual guest uh, just ahead of me, I, I could really relate to what he was talking about because I had kids. I came out, I, uh, you know, it was a catastrophe on a lot of levels, in my excommunication, and then I ran away to New York um, after I lost custody of the kids and tried to become the perfect rent boy. And the show is this humorous exploration of uh, what it is to find a middle ground. And I just got done doing it in Australia at the Sydney Mardi Gras Festival. And we had a run in Melbourne. And uh, if I may toot my horn, we got five stars from DNA Magazine. And I just nice. keep reviving it and, uh, and, and making it better and better. So, you know, we're getting ready for a big run, uh, you know, off-Broadway, get on the line. But right now I'm touring the heck out of it. So... I can't wait to go to the Desert Rose this this uh, this weekend. I love it, and I can't believe that Dorian Gray, gorgeous mug of yours, because I stalk you on social media. You have a 22 year old daughter. How the hell did that happen? You look like you're 28 <laughs> yourself. Goodness ah. gracious! Well, it was all that good, clean, warm, and living for a while, and uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, my son will be 24 next month. So, um, yeah, I yeah, uh, gracious. The, kids are, the kids grow up and the story continues. So, Keep wow, you that do stock. I love my that. Friend. Keep it hitting well. That is awesome. Robbie, welcome for a first time virgin on the show. I always like to get a little background from my guests. Tell me where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what you want to be when you grew up. Oh, my goodness. Such a story. <laughs> I grew up in um, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, in the heart of the Bible Belt. So I have a, a, a lot of uh, things that I relate to as far as Stephen's story of how he grew up. But um, uh, we went in a, a few different paths. From there, I, the only thing I could do was sing and dance. And uh, my mother wanted me to be a preacher, and I did not want to be a preacher, so I ended up singing and dancing, and uh, right out of high school, I got uh, accepted on a cruise ship, and I took off and never really went back for more than just a few months at a time in between contracts. 
um, performed in cruise ships for several years, did the theme park circuit, ended up moving to New York where I worked for David Letterman uh, during his show, and then moved on and worked for uh, NBC and booked all the bands for Christmas and Rockefeller Center and worked with them on all of their live entertainment specials that they did, like the uh, New York City Marathon, all of the parades that they did, Fourth uh, of July, spectacular type things for CBS. Then I ended up wanting to, you know, come on out after 9-11. You know, I kind of wasn't uh, in the right mood to be there. So I wanted to come on out to California and try it out. So I came out to California, and I've been here ever since. Awesome. And we're going to find out about uh, Stephen's coming out story based on his play and everything. But talk to me about yourself. When did you first come out to yourself, um, Robbie, and start coming out to others? Um, as far as me, I, I'm one of those, you know, I always believed everyone fell kind of on the Kinsey scale from a 1 to 10. Like, they're really gay, or maybe they're bisexual in the middle in the 5. You know, if there is a 1 to 10, if 10 was gay, I was an 11. Because <laughs> I, I I never had any interest. I, I am, I'm one of the few um, 50-year-old virgins uh, as far as biblical sense goes. So I, I've always known that I was different. I always knew from the time I was six or seven years old that I just didn't uh, like girls uh, physically or sexually, you know, And um, but I got along with them great. They were my best friends, and they always have been, <laughs> but I just never had a sexual attraction to women, and uh, so that was what me Sean growing say, up in say, the Are South. you a platinum gay or something? What is Sean yeah, say? yeah. It's like a platinum I, I gay. It's better than a gold gay, gold star gay. You're a platinum star gay. <laughs> hey, I, I just want to say, you know, that I was gay before I was bi, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, okay, yeah, we'll oh give you that. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> well, Stephen, I want to jump into Mormon Boy in just a second, but uh, let's, let's take a quick second just to um, talk about the church recently reversed itself on some of its principles for the LGBT community. Talk about that for a second. Um, I can't believe they were stopping kids from being baptized before they were 18 if their parents were gay. Um, Talk about this rule change. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, in 2015, you know, it was leaked that in the handbook they were advising everyone not to baptize kids of of gay couples. And when that leaked, it, it just, it just, everything, it was just terrible PR. And, uh, you know, I think if you were, if you had gay parents, you're, like, say your dad divorced your mom and he was living with his partner, but you still had a mom who was active in the church, that, that, that was one thing. But if you had gay guys who are, are getting married and having kids and adopting kids, the church just wanted to prevent, you know, all of, of these kids getting getting baptized. So that has been reversed in this stunning, stunning announcement last weekend where gay, you know, kids, gay parents can get married. There's some, uh, you know, they're, they're going to tell the, the guardians, though, that the church, what their church's stance is. But it, it's a softening, and it's not so hard line. And it's great PR for um, the church because everyone just all of a sudden thinks that the church is now really gay friendly. The doctrine hasn't changed a bit. It is right. still a sin. Gay marriage is not uh, allowed. Um, it's still an abomination. They have softened the language because it was such a PR nightmare. So I say that's really nice, but no pass. Until I have gotcha. a shot 
as this perfect, you know, monogamous couple that can go to the temple, you know, and I, I put monogamy in quotation marks, you know, until gays can have that opportunity in the Mormon church to be as legit as a straight couple, then I say no pass. And that's that's just where I, I, I can go, yeah, that's nice you're being nicer, but we all know that maybe tithing is down, uh, you know, baptisms are down. So that's where that's what I see here. I, I don't think it's a celebration like uh, maybe some gay Mormons might think. All right, I appreciate it. That's why I wanted to get your kind of take on it because you you have gone through the ringer with the church, and I wanted to know what it meant to someone that's actually gone through there. Because like you said, it's still a sin, and it's everything. It's like now you can talk about it a little more, I guess. And this baptism yeah. thing is kind of strange, but it's like nothing has really changed in the underpinnings of anything that I saw. But, yeah, I mean, what, what a good PR stop. announcement. <laughs> We've got to stop participating in our own devaluation. And when I, I just recently had a, a Mormon missionary who was on my mission with me who was gay, He's been excommunicated, and he's like, you know what, Stephen, I'm getting rebaptized into the church. And I'm just like, what? It's just, we, it's, he's participating in his own devaluation. I hope he'll be happy, but I just can't, uh, I can't go there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a story in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I want to jump into to Mormon boy here. I mean, this is a very real and raw memoir of sorts you've written. You've written it, produced it, directed it, starred in it. Talk about what still makes the story so relatable and keeps all your old friends coming back for more and the newbies still raving about it. Because like you said, it got an amazing review from DNA Magazine. It's just, it's still as poignant today as it was back then. Talk about that. Well, I've upped the humor. There's a delicious Trump joke. So, you know, I, I tell the story, even though it's really serious about dealing with, you know, the drugs and the, you know, my, my, uh, how I, uh, the sex industry, which was intense for me. Um, I think this show was a bit ahead of its time, and now it might be right on time because we're dealing with the conversion mm-hmm. therapy. I did all that reparative therapy. We're dealing with, right. um, you know, uh, religious violence. Uh, we still have mental orientation marriages that are having kids. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of taking it a little bit to the point of view where, you know, what is, what is sex trafficking in, in the world in general? And where is it happening in our community? And uh, so I, I'm kind of putting the, the spotlight on, our, uh, on the sex industry a little bit. So we're really, and it's very, it's very honest and real and raw. So uh, we go to these different extremes, and people seem to keep coming back. So I'm I'm really pleased. And it's part one in the Mormon Boy trilogy, so I've written these other plays too. So we'll just see where it Right, exactly. And we've talked about it before, bringing the show to Ireland a couple times, and talk about this whole Sydney and uh, Melbourne experience down under. I mean, the, like I said, I'm a social media stalker, and it was some amazing pictures and everything. It sounds like you had a great time. Well, the Mardi Gras Festival was my first time being in, in Australia, and that festival was incredible. And we just had these amazing audiences, and we filmed it live down there, so we're editing the six-camera uh, shoot that we did, and then I did Melbourne. But here's the thing. I'm going to be playing Taipei, Taiwan. We, I'm working on a Delhi, India. I play South Africa June, July. So I'm kind of going all over the world with this Mormon boy message and, uh, until we revive it again in New York. So that's what's going on. And I, 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 I love Australia. What can I say? I I'm love an Aussie, that. I Mor- I'm an Aussie Mormon. 
I wanted to ask about the, the South African. That sounds like an amazing adventure. I didn't know about the others. It just got to be such a, uh, a treat just to bring the story out there. But what do you find are the commonalities in your audience? What are they getting out of this that they might not have known before? Well, they're getting all the religious nuance because religion is everywhere. You have these right-wing situations in Australia. You have it in South Africa. So I'm bringing, you know, the, dealing with spiritual abuse and religious violence, whether you're a Jew or you're, you're Baptist, um, it's the conversation that we're still having. I mean, look what's happening in Brunei. I mean, so, you know, being able to take it to Manila coming up, you know, and working on all of this big, uh, you know, around the world. We're even taking it to Sao Paulo. It's been translated into Portuguese. So what's interesting is I'm still on a mission, and I couldn't be happier doing it. That is amazing. I love that. And, Robbie, congratulations on being named artistic director last year. I mean, I was studying the history of the Desert Rose, opened back in 2012 by Paul Taylor and Jim Strait as a nonprofit theater company. Talk a little bit about that history, and what did Paul and Jim look for in you to help continue on this tradition, and what made you stand out as someone who could bring this to the next level? Well, I ask myself that same question sometimes, to be honest, you know, <laughs> because I just kind of do what I do. And um, when, when I'm, I've only lived in the desert uh, for five years down here in Palm Springs. I was in San Francisco before this. And uh, when I came to uh, Palm Springs, I was not as much on the stage as I had been behind the stage, you know, and, and, and in the supportive gotcha. side of everything. So when I came down to Palm Springs, this place – I had no idea the the opportunities that are here for a performer. There is a theater on – I mean all over Coachella Valley, there's at least seven or eight really major professional uh, theater companies that people have these outlets for. And never mind all of the shows and all of the different one-offs and the cabarets. So I said, you know what, I love to perform, and – I was working for the International Film Festival, and that's why I came down here working in the programming department with them. And I fell in love with just the entertainment scene and, and the arts scene here in Coachella Valley and started performing right. more. And so from there, um, I was at the Palm Canyon Theater uh, performing with them in a couple of shows, and one of their uh, uh, stage managers, who was also stage managing the show at the Desert Rose – they were looking for someone who could sing, who could dance, who could act, and who could play this part that they were looking for for a world premiere musical that had been written by Michael Penny called Junk, the musical. And so it was a two-man play with Jim Strait and myself. I, he cast me in it, and I pretty much – they saw that I was willing to do anything to get the production up and running, and I'm, I'm, I can sew costumes. I can paint uh, sets. I can, you know, work, do the lighting. I do the sound. I, you know, it's anything that has to do with it. I can do and and do pretty decently. So they kind of saw that where I could just jump in anywhere needed. And when they approached me, I had no idea. They just said, you know, we're turning seventy next year, and we've promised ourselves that we were going to retire. And we've been looking and looking, and you just kind of fell in our lap, and we would like for you to take over the Desert Rose Playhouse. And after I cried for a minute, because I literally <laughs> it, 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 it just shocked me that you know it was my always my dream 
to to have my own stage that I could program that that I could have the last say and put my little stamp on before the world got to see the production and it was it was it was just a beautiful thing and um it it just all started from there i have no idea other than the fact that you know they saw that i could do all the things that needed to be done and i had the drive and the passion and um yeah they just they chose me and i'm just i'm very thankful to both of them and have been so excited we took over uh, august 1st and we're getting ready to start our last production of this first season that i programmed and it's been nothing but just a beautiful ride it's been fantastic that's awesome. And talk about this relationship with the Desert Rose, Stephen. You were out there earlier. Talk about the Palm Spring audiences a bit. Um, what's it like to be invited back there? Well, you know, I, I don't think Palm Springs really had uh, an LGBT theater for a while. And so the Desert Rose really fits this this niche. And I was told, that, oh, there's this theater. You should come do Confessions of a Mormon Boy. My, my friend Douglas Graham was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, put you up, you know, I'm going to suggest it. And all of a sudden, Robbie said yes. And when I get there, my, my three shows are sold out before I even get to town. And then we Which is about another... to happen again, by the way, sir, by oh. surprise. Well, that's great. Well, we added a we had so Robbie adds another show, and we're sold out before the run is even done. So when you come into town, and they take care of you like Robbie does, and he they house you, they they fly you out, they put you up, the community rallies around you, and you're telling your story in the most delicious situation, the beautiful Palm Springs, wonderful audiences. Lucy Arnez comes, Scott, uh, John Berriman comes. And and Robbie's got your back. Anything you need. And he's in the And Larry Luckenbill was at your show as well. Uh, yeah. And then and then yeah. uh, Robbie is like doing the, he's just done the last show as he's doing the other show and he's taking you as an outside uh, guest. I think it's just one of the Robbie's the real deal and, and I've been doing this a long time. So I'm thrilled to be coming back. I love that. And, and uh, everything we do is out of love for for what we're doing. It's not, and no one's getting rich doing this uh, because that's not the goal. You know, the goal is to put quality things on the stage for the LGBTQ community. And I, from the very beginning, I said, yeah, it's a, it's considered a community theater, but we've changed that to where it's the community's theater. And we we had people this weekend that hadn't been on stage in 35 years that had a show in Vegas, and they brought it back, and they sold out almost every show. People love seeing people perform and love what they do, and that was the thing with Stephen was when he came, it was so refreshing to see someone on stage that wasn't just reciting lines or telling their story or their monologue and trying to act it. Stephen lives it, and he lives it every time he goes up on stage, and you get to watch and, and, and learn and, and soak all of that in. So it's, it's really not like he's up there even telling a story or a monologue or acting. Stephen's up there laying his heart out on the stage, and people eat it up. Oh, thank you, Robbie. That's why you're so successful, Stephen. That's why. Oh, wow, wow. Well, I just want to say that Rob. Go ahead, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Stephen. Well, I just wanted to say that Robbie's winning these awards out in the desert. Like he, he just won <laughs> best director um, from the season before, right, Robbie? Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's the current season. Uh, I was voted best director of Coachella Valley of a, of a musical by Broadway World. 
That's yeah. amazing. So, Fantastic. It, Congratulations. Thank you. And what's really cool that I love about the theater, too, is we're talking about uh, that it's for the LGBT community. You guys have been over backwards working with all these organizations. You give tickets away to the Desert AIDS Project. Talk about these organizations you work with, and that's got to be pretty fulfilling for yourself as well to be a 501c3 theater, not just something to mm-hmm. give out plays, but you actually work with the community to try to make it better, right? Absolutely. Um, just uh, just recently, uh, we were granted a sponsorship through the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence due to our work with the community and their work, and we're partnering now to be able to do more together uh, with, uh, you know, different uh, associations in town, but uh, with the Desert AIDS Project, which we have here in, Coche- or in Palm Springs, uh, we, we give them tickets for their clients for every show that we, we produce. And yeah, up to date, I think it's up to like about $96,000 worth of tickets that we have wow. missed. You know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't right. miss that by being able to do that. And that's what I think so many people say, oh, we couldn't possibly afford to do that kind of stuff. But you can. You just haven't tried. You know? And those people that are so thankful to be able to take a little bit of time and not have to spend the money that they would have to spend on medications or anything else like that and just be able to go and sit and be entertained or, or be enlightened or be moved in, in whatever show that we're doing. And so we work with them. I was just uh, worked as a, a mentor for the Rainbow Youth Summit uh, for all of the uh, underage LGBTQ in, in, the, the, in the, uh, the school systems here in Coachella Valley. They have a Rainbow Youth Summit, and they bring all of these kids in, and we go and we talk to them about, you know, what they're going through and their lives and how did, where do they want to go. And, and as far as with theater or the arts, how do they, you know, reach their goals that they have? And, you know, so we work a lot side by side with people doing those kind of things here in the community. And we're always looking for more. You know, I have people all the time asking, can you do this or this and this? And if we can, we do. That's amazing. Stephen, talk about, I mean, Palm Springs, you're traveling all over the place now. You've lived in New York before, back and forth to Salt Lake. Now you're back in New York. Do you see yourself staying in New York, or would you like to go to a place like Palm Springs and start to get warm again after this winter? You got, you got to spend the winter in Australia, so I'm a little jealous. Oh, talk yes. about living situations now. Well, you know, speaking of by, um, I'm actually tri, and I've decided that I'm tri-coastal. I need New York. I need I I need New I need LA, and I need the coast of Salt Lake City. Um, you know, New York is where you know you get to compete and play at that level, and you know it's where you yeah. can export your work for the whole world. But I need, uh, and then Salt Lake is where my kids are. It's where my therapist is, and uh, so popping into uh, Salt Lake is good. But man, Palm Springs speaks to my spirit, and. You know, so I'm going to come do the show, and I hope to just stay and write for a few weeks because I'm working on this book called Oxymormon Memoirs. But um, my Aunt Linda is my Mormon Auntie Maine, and she passed away a few years ago, and she lived in Desert Hot Springs there in Coachella Valley. So when I'm in okay. that desert, you know, and I grew up in Vegas, and that desert is not the desert of Palm Springs. Palm Springs has no, 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 no. life-giving energy. So I, I would like to spend a lot more time in Palm Springs and, 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 and kind of as a devotion to my Aunt Linda, who was there for me 
when I came out. She was a lone Democrat in the family, and um, she never had kids. And uh, she called me her firstborn, and uh, she would come to confessions when I had done it. Uh, I did it as a, a benefit for the Desert AIDS Project with Patrick Munt, who's a, who's a big force there in the desert. Um, so I, yeah. And when I heard about the Desert Rose Playhouse and I get there, it's this, it's this wonderful standalone theater in Rancho Mirage, not far from Palm Springs. And Robbie and his partner have renovated it in ways that are just sparkling. Not only are they doing this amazing theater, but like they're like, they're like totally remodeled inside. Right, Robbie? <laughs> well, you know. I'm I wanted to talk like about that, Robbie, because I was reading on your vision <laughs> for it, and you really wanted to create a welcoming atmosphere for the second you walk in the doors. Talk about your vision and what you've been able to make of it so far. Well, I, you know, I think when you go to, to a theater uh, and when you go to see a show, there is that moment of transition. Uh, you know, you need a little bit of time from walking out through the doors and leaving the outside outside. So the moment right. that you get inside of a theater, you need that lobby. You need that experience. You need to be able to let your brain let go so that it's open to see what you're getting ready to see and what you want to experience and get out of it. So for me, I mean, I, I, I kind of steal this from Max Vernon, who uh, we just did his uh, show, The View Upstairs, which was fantastic. And, uh, but in there, he, uh, they, they talk about the bar, and they say it's kind of like a gay Applebee's, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and to me, I like having all of little props from – various shows in the past that can people can say oh my gosh i saw this show and and i like having a, a we've got a mannequin in the middle of the room that wears costumes that were from past shows or you know we had carol channing's uh uh dress on her for a couple of times when nikki came oh, that's and he brought all of her original clothing from carol channing he was actually her assistant so you know things like that just interesting stuff um, something that's lively, that, that just gets people in more of a whimsical mood after they've just gotten cut off at the red light getting there, you know? So <laughs> right. I, I, want, I, I like that transition, and I feel like it's very important. So we've worked really hard to make a very comfortable environment as soon as you walk in the door. And, and it's, it's more of like the black box theater. I mean, we can, we can pack 100 people in there, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's not a huge theater. It's not overly uh, grand. It's it's very comfortable and it's fun and and I think that's the basis that you need to start a good uh, experience when you go to the theater is when you walk in the door. I agree. I love that. Fantastic. And Stephen, tell people um, what they can expect. It's this weekend. Give everyone when you're going to be there this weekend and the show times and what they're what they're going to come expect. Well, we have Friday night at 8 o'clock, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, and then Sunday, 2 o'clock matinee. And the Sunday matinee is actually, you know, one of my favorite shows to do because, you know, if, if you're going to get up there Sunday, you really want to be there. I think, you know, Friday, Saturday <laughs> night, everyone's wanting to have a good time, and we'll, we will have a good time. But that oh, Sunday, Sunday's like the church, and they're like listening, and it's like we all communing. So it's a, I love Sunday matinees. So, yeah, and the, the, the tickets to the, the show are at Desert Rose uh, – Robbie, help me. Desert Rose Playhouse.org? Yeah, Desert Rose Playhouse. That's it, yes. 
So DesertRosePlayhouse.org and all of his other shows. What are the other shows that are going on there right now, Robbie? Well, um, we are getting ready to open up our final show uh, next weekend. So, see, we're just weekend to weekend because I want—I like a theater that lives, and it has to, has to have something on the stage all the time. And we practically kill ourselves to do it, but we love it. So we've got <laughs> Stephen this weekend. Next weekend we open up our main stage show of Pageant the Musical. And uh, I don't know if you've heard about that, but we wanted to go out with a laugh for our, our, our actual season. And um, a Pageant is a beauty pageant. Like you were just talking to the guy about pageants and i was kind of giggling because uh, i know, you know even i thought it was a great <laughs> combination of guests here i have someone that actually is a beauty pageant coach and and open yep. gay and like little abby miller and then we have the actual play about some things just like that <laughs> yeah and and it's six men one crown endless laughs and that's the name yeah that's a little tagline we have but, you know, former Miss Americas, they've seen the revival of this show, uh, and like Susan Powell and, and those girls. And they, they love that we show what we love about pageants in a fun and funny way. Not making fun of them, but just kind of putting it in your face. And it, it, it's, it's just a hilarious ride through a beauty pageant. And the fun thing about it is that at the end, the judges have been picked from the audience. So we have a different winner every night depending on – their performance and how how the audience uh, liked them. So there's a different ending to nice. the show, six different endings. So it's a lot of fun. I love, that is fantastic. That is so cool. Yeah. And Stephen, give everyone a little preview of what you're going to be up to here. You got uh, you're going to stay in Palm Springs for a little bit, then you're heading out to South Africa, or what's your schedule looking like? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can go to my website at mormonboyoffbroadway.com. And, you know, I have the next shows coming up, and you can read about the show. Um, you can contact me on, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook and all of that. Um, but, yeah, I'm playing the National Arts Festival in Grandstown, South Africa, June 27th through July 7th. And then I go into a two-week run in Cape Town, which uh, is at this uh, gay theater called uh, Alexander Bar. So it's it's really... Yeah, it's kind of, and then, you know, other, uh, oh, I wanted to make sure that I said, you're in Ohio, right? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, so I'll be playing Columbus, Ohio. My little the, theater. Yeah, Evolution Theater. I'll be playing Evolution Theater with a, you know, I'm trying to make vocal stops here in the States in between, you know, the international, and I'll be at Evolution Theater October 4th through the 6th. Um, they're bringing me out, and uh, I'm also working in the fall a possible stop in P-Town for a weekend and Key West for a weekend. So it's it's just kind of heating up. When your kids grow and they, they're off in college, it's like, you know, now's my time to to, to see the world and, and to share the message. So that's what's up. I love it. How long are you going to be in Palm Springs till? Do you know yet? Well, I think I will stay at least through April. And if I can find the right bungalow, I'll stay through May because I really need to lay low. And I need to um, uh, work on this book. Uh, it's kind of like the no. number one thing. Uh, it's the hardest thing I'm doing, but I have to make time. So my mantra in Palm Springs will be, write, work out, raise money. Write, work out, raise money. <laughs> I love it. And, Robbie, I learned from my stint in Palm Springs last year for a month that everyone leaves June, July, and August. Are you going to go back up to San Francisco or do you stay in town? What do you do? There's some of us, 
some of us are around here just are a glutton for punishment. No, we stay, and it's not so bad once you get used to 125 degrees. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it's actually there. It, it's it's not such an exodus as it used to be. It, we really do uh, keep things going a little more through the summer than we used to, say, you know, five to ten years ago. Uh, everyone, we still have our what we call our snowbirds. Everyone comes down from uh, Canada and things like that during the, uh, the, the our, our winter, which is, you know, uh, not that drastic. But uh, in the summer, everyone does, uh, the tourists all, all leave, but it's not like it becomes a ghost town. This is still a very vibrant place. And uh, there's not as many that disappear. It, it just helps in the traffic. I'll just say that. That's about the one thing you'll see different is that during the summer it helps in the traffic a little bit. But other than that, we still keep going. Yeah. Your 97 scared me a little. I got to tell you, I did my, um, my big gay road trip, my very first one last August. I did a month's worth of shows in Palm Springs uh, last August. My first day in the town was 118 degrees, and I thought I was going to melt. And then I found out that I can, I, I start melting at 106. So we had one week of hard weather, but then the rest stayed 105 below. And that's very doable in Palm Springs. You get used to it relatively it quickly. And yeah, this year I'm doing scary, June, so I thought it was going to be a lot cooler. But if it's 97 already, it's not going to be a lot cooler, I don't think, in June. But I'm looking yeah, forward to it, coming it, in June. If you stay, you got to give me a, a tour of the playhouse. Absolutely, I would love to. But as far as the heat, it's more because like there's no humidity here like you would find in another place exactly. at 97 degrees. So it doesn't feel the same. You feel the heat, but you don't feel that suffocating heat until it starts getting really, really high. You know, but right. you know, 97 for us uh, in the mid 90s to to high 90s, that's beautiful weather here, and it's very doable. It, it's not hard at all. Nice. And, and Scott, well, where will you gonna... be? What, will you be in at that in, Indulge? Is that where you, you do your show from? I will be at the Indulge Resort, Indulge Resort for the entire month of June. I'm going to get into town probably the last week of May, around the 26th, the 28th there. And I will be doing live shows every Monday and Tuesday the entire month of June. So I'm going to talk with Robbie oh, off wow. air and see if he can get me some local talent to come on the show. It'll be fun. Absolutely. We would love it. I, I know many, many people who would love to participate with that. Amazing. That's why I was hoping you stayed till the end of May. You got to stay till the end of May for me, Stephen, so we can hang out and uh, have a cocktail or something. <laughs> yes, I would love that. I will, I will try to make that happen for sure. Well, guys, thanks so much for being on the Left the Straight Show. Before we go, Stephen, one more time, give your website and your social media. Yeah, I'm at uh, Stephen Kales Online on Instagram and Confessions of a Mormon Boy on Instagram. And, uh, you know, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, and my website is mormonboyoffbroadway.com. And, uh, yeah, and the tickets for this weekend are at desertroseplayhouse.org. So, yeah. Terrific. And, Robbie, give everyone where they can find your theater at. What's your address in Rancho Mirage? And uh, uh, give the ticket okay. information yeah, one and, more time. I wanted to say very quickly, uh, if you want any, any tickets for Stephen's show on Sunday, I, I think by the time I get back to the computer, they may be sold out because we were literally on the edge on that. So, I mean, these tickets are going really fast. So uh, the, 
if you if you want them, you better get them now because uh, just like last time, everybody said, "Oh, I waited too long. Please, please bring him back." And yes, we'll probably end up bringing him back again. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, if you want to see him just go around, you better you better act quick. But anyway, um, yeah, we are the Desert Rose Playhouse. We are located in Rancho Mirage, which is just down 111 from uh, downtown Palm Springs, maybe a 10 15 minute drive from downtown. We're at 69620 Highway 111 in Rancho Mirage. Uh, org, you can find out a lot about us. Tickets are on sale there. Uh, I'm Robbie Wayne on Facebook, and we also have the Desert Rose Playhouse on Facebook. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's pretty much us. We, we, we do our, our local stuff and um, and uh, seems to be working. Uh, we're, we're very happy. Fantastic. Well, guys, try to get your tickets for Stephen on Sunday if there's any available or just be like I am and go to the stage door. Just beg for the autograph. That's my New York thing. Um, and be we'll sure to try in. to get tickets we'll get for pageant next weekend at the Desert Rose Playhouse for sure for the 19th yeah. through May 12th. So you have a little bit of time for that. Guys, thanks for being yep. left a straight show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Oh, it's been a blast. All right, stay on the line for me. We're going to play out with a little bit of Blake MacGyver. This is who we are. I'll come back to wrap things up and talk about tomorrow's guest in just a couple minutes. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. Pulling past the signpost of this tiny weathered town. The tears welled up so high inside I thought that I might drown. Everything different but it all looked the same And now you're here beside me And I'm rid of all my shame I just hope that they will see What is always been in me How much do I love you?
We are back. That was Blake MacGyver. This is who we are. Guys, big shout out to my guest today. Thanks so much to Bill Alverson for coming on. You need to check out Insatiable on Netflix. I can't wait for season two. And go check out on YouTube the old uh, clips of uh, Coach Charming. Uh, You'll really laugh. It was 2015, but it was great. It's very much Dance Moms for pageantry. And Bill is amazing on it. So be sure to check that out. Thank you to Stephen Fales, uh, Confessions of a Mormon Boy, an amazing one-man show. If you're in the Palm Springs area, try to see if you can get tickets for Sunday. And a big shout-out to Robbie uh, Wayne, who is the artistic director of the Desert Rose Playhouse. Can't wait to talk to him when I'm out there on the Big Gay Road Trip. For tomorrow's show, another great show, guys. On the first hour, we're talking to Cameron Hawthorne. He had an amazing video go viral the other day. He came out uh, called uh, Dancing in My Living Room uh, with his boyfriend on it. how he came out to the world. He's a country music artist, uh, darn good-looking guy, just an all-around nice guy. He's going to be on the show for the first time tomorrow. And then afterwards, I'm going to interview the three co-hosts of the newest radio show here on Left of Straight Radio. It's called Astro Kiki Radio. And the co-hosts are Kyle Thomas, Sam Davidson, Samantha Davidson, and Aaron LaFaro. And they are going to be mixing the worlds of astrology, pop culture, and celebrity every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. right here on Left of Straight Radio starting this Wednesday. But tomorrow I have a chance to introduce introduce you to the co-hosts and interview them. So be sure to tune into that for the second hour tomorrow. So a great show. Lots of great shows coming up the rest of the month. I have some great musicians, Hayden Joseph, Hayden McHugh. We have a Broadway uh, star coming on, Neil, um, on the 23rd, and possibly Frankie Grande. We have Zach Barak, who's an amazing transgender actor who is going to be featured in the new Spider-Man, Far From Home, coming out very, very soon. And I'm really excited. At the end of the month, on the 30th, we're going to have coming back from Glee, Jenna Ushkowitz and her co-host from Glee, Kevin McHale. Um, they have a brand new podcast that you are just going to love. So we're going to be talking to them at the end of the month. So lots of great shows to come. Thanks for listening in. Follow in on all the social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight, on YouTube and Facebook left of straight show and if you can i'd really appreciate if you could help contribute to the big gay road trip go to indiegogo.com and type in big gay road trip in the search bar or go to the www.leftofstraight.com website and go to the uh, big gay road trip tabs ten dollars will help we're trying to raise enough money to add a third day of shows to bring some of our uh, women friend and allies to the show and help defer some of the costs. It's a pretty expensive trip to go from Northeast Ohio to um, Palm Springs for an entire month of radio shows just for you guys. I appreciate any help you can give me. Thanks for listening in and tell all your friends, be sure to subscribe at your favorite podcast distributor. We're available on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, all your great distributors out there. 
And we'll see you next time right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I'm Scott Fullerton with Left of Straight Radio. Bye-bye.